With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Radio family, and a very early Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew Diarmond of 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, our executive producer. Welcome, everybody, to Bams Radio. We've got a very fun two hours. We're going to talk basketball, football recruiting, and uh, actually Bama football playoff prep. All that and more on this edition of BAMS Radio. I'll go ahead and bring in Drew. Drew, how's it going tonight, brother? Doing well, Kerry. How are you doing? And Good to have BAMS back after a week's absence. So we took a little bit of a break. and Good to be back on with you guys. And uh, we've, uh, we've, got, we've got a lot to talk about with the Tide. Uh, you know, uh, still now taking their break uh, until the day after Christmas are really They'll reconvene together on, the, I guess, uh, Christmas night uh, to continue preparations and um, and uh, travel to Dallas, Texas, for the Cotton Bowl with Michigan State. But recruiting going on. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt in place as defensive coordinator, and uh, the school on the other side of the state still can't hire anybody. But uh, they got a big, uh, fun event planned for their trip to the Birmingham Bowl. I saw where they're going to go to uh, eat at Dreamland over there by UAB, and then bus down to Tuscaloosa and take him to the Bryant Museum and then bus over to the Birmingham Airport and watch Bama take off for Dallas. So should be a great uh, agenda for the Auburn Tigers as they enjoy their trip to Birmingham. But Drew, somebody that really didn't enjoy their trip to Birmingham as much as they would have liked is the uh, Alabama basketball team, which fell to seven wins and three losses and a tough 72-68 to loss to Oregon in the game that Alabama led by 12 points. Now, at the bottom of the hour, in about 28 minutes, we'll be hearing from uh, Crimson Tide color analyst Brian Packney. But, Drew, you and I were at the game. And, uh, yes, Alabama lost to a good team, maybe even a Sweet 16 team. But, Drew, it was a game that Alabama really should have won. Well, it was. They were ahead 38-26 at halftime and played very, very well and uh, defended uh, a really good uh, high-powered athletic offensive basketball team about as probably as well as they could considering – uh, you didn't have Shannon Hale. You didn't have Dazon Ingram. And uh, they rode the hot hand of Justin Coleman, who uh, 
had flashbacks to his Winona days and the BJCC down at the Final Four and did a really nice job. You know, Arthur Edwards made some shots, got some production out of Jimmy Taylor. And, you know, Alabama just, they played with a lot of energy. We saw Brandon Austin continue to make some plays and the crowd was really into it. It was a big crowd, over 10,000 people in the arena and it was exciting. And then second half, uh, but Alabama kind of, you know, had a dose of reality because Oregon came out and hit him in the teeth and executed at a very high level on offense, turned up the pressure defensively, not having days on. And Shannon Hill started, uh, you know, played a factor in my opinion in the second half because he had to play uh, Justin Coleman a lot of heavy minutes and he didn't have, uh, he, he could have had, you could have had another ball handler in there to help with the pressure. And uh, they turned the basketball over and, they didn't get what they needed out of Mike Kessens, who started in the place of Shannon Hill. He only scored two points, but uh, Riley Norris picked it up for him, uh, 12 points, four of nine shooting, made a couple of threes, and made some plays. They just needed a, a, a more from Retton Obasahan. Retton came in. He and Shannon Hill have been the two leading scorers. Retton had been playing at a very high level. Uh, he was the reigning SEC offensive player, or excuse me, uh, basketball player of the week in the league. And he just didn't play very well. Uh, he ended up one for nine from the field. Got some open looks, Kerry, but he just couldn't knock anything down. And uh, if you, they needed going into that game. I had had Brian Passick on my show earlier this week on Monday, and the thought was they needed, uh, you know, 14, 16, 18 points. We'll ask Brian about that later. But they just didn't get enough production out of Red. Needed one more guy to to give him double digit scoring, and uh, couldn't quite uh, get that done. Right, and you know. Each team was called for 16 fouls, but it seemed to me, Drew, there was at least two, maybe three times that Retton went hard to the basket and got knocked to the floor, and, and there was no call made at all. But, again, you know, he was like one for nine from the floor. So he didn't do anything uh, in either of the two games since he was named SEC Player of the Week. You and I got to see the Winthrop game in Tuscaloosa last week, which was a win. He struggled in that game. He struggled again against Oregon. Uh, but but if Renton just does anywhere near what he normally does in the game for Alabama, then then they beat the Ducks probably handily. Yeah, you know they would have. I think they would have had a solid eight to ten point win. He got himself going against Wither by getting to the rim in the second half and still ended up with twelve points. He didn't make any perimeter shots, but he was able to get to the rim. The Oregon did a nice job continuing to run people at him, and as you said, Kerry, he didn't get two or three calls that you know might have been able to go his way. Uh, as far as uh, from the officials in, in the game, even though I really didn't think the officiating was poor. I just felt like Alabama overall in the second half just didn't play well enough. I did like the way they responded because, you know, they got that six points in the second half. And in the in years past, I think the team would have folded and it would have ended up being a one-sided defeat. But Justin Coleman makes two straight threes. You know, they were down 60 to 54. They tied at 60. And they had opportunities late. They got written a nice open three. And, uh, and Riley Norris got a look late as well, but uh, down three. But they just couldn't they couldn't get any uh, baskets to fall. And when that happened, uh, Oregon uh, did what good teams do. They closed it out at the free throw line. And you know they uh, Dylan Brooks was the real deal. They you know he average, came in averaging close to 16 a game. I think he got 24 in the game. And they just had a lot of length and athleticism. And Dana Altman, he's one of the country's best coaches. He sometimes doesn't get mentioned. Uh, but he uh, did. He did a great job at Kansas State, and then uh, and basically created the culture that still uh, is, is still remains at Creighton, and uh, has done a really good job in his time at Oregon. So he's a really good basketball coach, and you never want to lose. And as uh, you know, Avery Johnson said they didn't come in planning to lose the game, but still seven and three, 
you lost to three tournament teams and uh, got a chance uh, in the next couple of you know couple of games to finish out pre-conference nine and three against Jacksonville State and Norfolk, and then as uh, Avery said, uh, the real season starts uh, at Ole Miss. Yeah, and the first game of the uh, new arena at Ole Miss, they closed out the old pad pad by beating Troy in overtime yesterday, which is actually not impressive because Troy's not that good this year. So that makes you think Alabama's got a chance in that game. Now, there'll be a lot of emotion with it being a, a new arena first game, and uh, the fans will be fired up. But if if, if 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 Ole Miss is the team that struggles to put away Troy, then you have to think Alabama's got a shot. Well, and I'll take my chances Avery Johnson against Andy Kennedy. Uh, I think Alabama has the advantage there in the coaching circle for the first time in a long time. I've seen this team play now a couple of times live, and, of course, watch them on television. This is a well-coached team. Uh, Avery Johnson does a great job uh, with the with the hand that he's been dealt in the roster in the shape it's currently in. And I've never been super high on Andy Kennedy as a coach. He has lasted a long time at Ole Miss and built a pretty solid program there. But I uh, I basically put him on the same plane as a Mark Godfrey, and he you know, he needs to have talent to beat you. He's not going to outcoach you and. I think Alabama does have a chance in the game. It will be tough, as you said, opening the new Tide Bad. They spent a ton of money. Uh, seen, you know, renderings of it. Looks like a beautiful new facility that was much needed uh, for the Ole Miss Rebels. But I think Alabama will have a shot. They just got to go down. I mean, you know, they're going to compete. I mean, they've played hard every game. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when they travel to Oxford. You mentioned the the fact that they're getting so much better coaching this year and, and how Avery's has done really about as much as he could do with the hand he's been dealt. Something that's really stood out to me, Drew, is uh, in the previous regime, it seemed like there was no such thing as a play being executed out of a timeout or to open a half or to open the game. The plays that are being drawn up in the timeout huddles now are – I mean, night and day. You can tell that the guy spent so many years in the NBA because the kids get out there and they get the ball in bounds, first of all, which was a challenge before, and then they get good shots. Uh, I'll, I'll take you back about, about a week ago when you and I were watching the Winthrop game, and they closed out the first half out of a timeout. And even though he didn't make the shot, they ran a play where Arthur Edwards came off the screen and had a wide open three. Now, he didn't, he didn't make it. But there was nobody near him. They've been doing that really all in games. They've been getting plays from out of bounds situations. Small things like that make a difference in the game. And I couldn't be more about what I said about the, the coaching matchup. At the, at yeah, it's a, they're, they've done a nice job. Uh, he, he did a great job preparing them for Oregon. I mean, they were ready to go. He's done that on a game-in, game-out basis. And you know, for the last several years, heck, plus, Counting the end of the Godfrey era, Alabama's been getting out coached on a nightly basis and kind of getting what you pay for. But now they've uh, they've been able they uh, they were very fortunate that Avery Johnson wanted to go to the college level and uh, he's done a great job of coaching up this group. And the thing that excites you is you uh, it's only going to get better here from a personnel standpoint. So when he has his guys, it's going to be something to see uh, for Alabama basketball. I think that's why everyone's so excited. And I think that's why you saw such a great crowd in Birmingham. I think uh, it shows the changing of the guard in the program and that everything seems to be on the right uh, on the the right track. Yeah, the way they do attendance now is they announce tickets sold, which so they announced 14,508. 
I think it was probably legitimately about 12,500 or so there, maybe 13. It was a good crowd. It was a, a raucous crowd. Alabama gave them a lot to cheer about, especially in the first half. Well, they, we're not able to close the deal, but it's a, a quote-unquote quality loss in the eyes of uh, whichever committee is looking at Alabama beating to the or NIT. The SEC season will tell that tale. And uh, since we really can't talk recruiting with Brian when he comes on uh, in 20 minutes, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Alabama basketball recruiting, Drew. Uh, seeing things on Twitter and uh, reading things on ESPN, to have the insider stuff. Uh, I would say that even though he did not sign a letter of intent, the fact that Darren Spurgis from the Star Guard did sign uh, – financial aid papers with Alabama and did sign an SEC letter in the state if he did lead on. He's supposed to sign these documents. He signed two. And with the contacts you see on Twitter between he and our current players and our current recruits that are already signed, like Rice and Key, I would say it's about 99% that Terrence Ferguson signs at Alabama the week of April 13th. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it from what all who all I've talked to. I, I think they were surprised he didn't sign. Uh, the full LOI in the early period, but seen, things still seem to be very good uh, between Alabama and uh, Terrence Ferguson. As you said, he, he signed the other two documents, and uh, I think uh, there's no question that he is going to end up in Tuscaloosa next year. It's just who is going to follow him? Will it be one big or two? Uh, you know, how 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 will uh, uh, they uh, fill uh, that need for a big? <laughs> Uh, from what we hear uh, from those close to the coaching staff, it looks like they're scouring the JUCOs, something that uh, Wim Sanderson did masterfully. Uh, Mark Godfrey did at times, and uh, for whatever reason, Anthony Grant basically refused to, and when he did, he didn't sign quality players. Uh, but that's another story for another day. But, I mean, it's obvious that Alabama gonna, has uh, done, the, done the job. And now they have two point guards on their roster, Dazon Ingram, Justin Coleman. will have a third. Uh, you know, Avery Johnson Jr. next year. And then uh, so the point guard need is, is filled. They're going to get much more athletic on the wing with Terrence Ferguson. And obviously uh, the, yeah, the, the the guard from uh, uh, from junior college from southern Idaho, he, uh, he he's going to come in and uh, he, he's somebody that's very athletic. So I just think overall they're going to be – and when you factor in Nick King, we'll ask, uh, you know, Brian Passing about him, uh, but Nick King – is a guy that, and Armand Davis is who I was referring to, the JUCO. But Nick King is someone that's left-handed, six foot seven. Everyone that's seen him work out knows how good he is and how good he could be. And then you factor that in with who's returning. Um, Brandon Austin starting to show flashes. Uh, this perimeter game is pretty good. It's just Alabama needs to add a big. They do, and, and they're after a couple. Uh, a six-ten guy named Fernando Bruno, uh, who plays in Florida, Monteverde, Florida, I believe. And uh, they're looking at a couple of junior college big men uh, and, you know, one or two other high school guys. So, uh, you know, I think at least one guy will be coming in with Ferguson in the late period that's at least 6'10". But, but as you said, it, it could be as uh, possibly as many as two. They'll, that would take a little bit of attrition, but attrition is something that's very normal and, and it's very expected. It will, it will be surprising to me if uh, every single person on scholarship right now was back next year. Well, yeah. I mean, you'd have to think that uh, there there could be uh, someone move on uh, to another place if they're not satisfied with their minutes. It's As you said, the, the transfers are, have become so commonplace in college basketball. 
the one good thing is he's playing a lot of guys. Pretty much everyone is getting an opportunity. Uh, someone may decide that they want a better opportunity elsewhere. I don't think it will be any of the core players, but, you, again, that's just the way college basketball is. And, and remember, they found Arthur Edwards is a fifth-year uh, senior transfer carry. It's it, it, it's possible they could have an, another fifth-year transfer if they could find the right fit as far as big man as well. Very true, very true. There will be a lot of them out there. And uh, if they do take Fernando, uh, Bruno, Fernando Bruno, which I hope they will, uh, they still would probably like to get one more that's, that's ready to play. But uh, things are looking up, and we'll, we'll get more into that in about 15 minutes when Brian Passing joins us. But for now, let's uh, turn the tables to football for the next 15. And Drew, uh, just uh, share with us anything that you may have heard regarding what's been going on on the practice field in Tuscaloosa. Well, I've just heard it's been a very intense preparation. I think the team is very focused on the task at hand, which is atoning uh, for what happened in the college football playoff last year. They know that uh, they're playing a, an experienced, talented quarterback in Connor Cook and a very consistent and well-coached program in Michigan State. Uh, I think the uh, there, there's been some newfound uh, confidence offensively with the performance they're coming off against Florida from a quarterback and receiver's perspective. And, of course, they've been working with a lot of young players. Uh, you know, Deontay Thompson, who redshirted, he has moved back to safety, it looks like, along with Tony Brown. Looks like that move has happened as well. They were both practicing at safety throughout the bowl practices. Tony has seen a lot of time in the nickel late in the season. When we've had Minka Fitzpatrick, as far as banged up, you've seen Tony in there. Uh, the, the sophomore from Beaumont Tech is at the nickel spot. But, He's so athletic, I think much like Eddie Jackson. Uh, they, they're, they're finding out that they, they want his athleticism you know, at the safety spot uh, with Eddie. He would be an excellent uh, understudy for uh, Eddie Jackson, who hopefully will return for his senior year. But you, uh, with the loss of Geno Smith and Jabril Washington, you know, the, both Deontay Thompson, who would still be a young player trying to kind of feel his way, Right, but I think when he was coming out of Orange Sark, Texas, he was a guy that everyone thought projected well at the safety position. I think he'll be a good young player to develop. But I think Tony Brown is a guy that will see some snaps in the nickel and the dime next year. And he has supreme talent. No one's ever questioned it. They thought NFL when they looked at him. And hopefully, you kind of like what Derrick Henry did. I know it later, but be a guy in bowl practices that, that, that breaks out and that finally buys in completely and, and turns himself around. But, of course, the one, uh, as William Barger said on my show this week on uh, Tuesday, he's become, kind of becoming a myth, is Bo Scarborough. He's a guy that everyone's been talking about. It's obviously kind of been uh, taking it to another level in practice. I think he's solidly third on the depth chart now ahead of Damian Harris. You know, what does that mean for – Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl, I don't know. But I do know this. I doubt Michigan State's been, you know, preparing for him very much. They haven't seen much film of him. I know they're preparing hard for Derrick Henry and using 240 and 250-pound, uh, you know, uh, guys and, and uh, members of their football team, including one defensive player, to emulate Derrick. But I still don't think you can emulate Derrick Henry. You can't emulate the size, speed, cutting ability, the vision, uh, you know, you can you can try to and try to toughen up your defense and prepare them for the gang tackling mentality, but it's still easier said than done when you see it in person. And uh, I just really think uh, Derek 
will still get his yards. I think he's going to have to earn them against Michigan State, much like he did against Florida. But, Kerry, I'll say it again, I, I think it was very beneficial. Florida probably doesn't have the, the depth that Michigan State does along their front seven, but they have supreme talent in their starters. And you can't tell me that Michigan State has as much team speed as Florida either. No, they don't. They really don't. Let me ask you this, Drew. You touched on this briefly when when you mentioned about Eddie Jackson, but as things stand right now, from what you're hearing, what juniors do you feel will declare for the draft for Alabama? The, the surprising thing, Kerry, is the only one that seems to be a slam dunk at this moment is Derrick Henry, uh, and that's connected with running backs and the in the in the shelf life. He's carried the ball 339 times this year. The last two starts, he's carried it 90 times, 46 and 44. And that you know you expect Derrick Henry uh, to move on. I think he I think that he could even be a first round draft pick uh, if he works out well at the combine. He won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, he's done just about everything you can do. Uh, broke Herschel Walker's single season record. Uh, Bo Jackson's Iron Bowl record, so he, he's ready to move on. He's going to break the touchdown record um, as far as the SEC. I'll predict, and he's going to get in the end zone against uh, at least once again in the Cotton Bowl. So, you know, I, I just think he's ready to go. But the surprising thing is Jonathan Allen, uh, who has a team leading ten and a half sacks. He is uh, leaning toward returning at this time. I mean, things can change, but he uh, wants to finish his education and then. The most shocking and surprising, and it's being even reported by Auburn sources, is as of right now, Ashawn Robinson is uh, planning on returning. He did not turn in his paperwork to be evaluated. Wow. wow. He, uh, he wants to uh, – the problem thought right now is that he wants to finish his education. Uh, we will see him either actively or a young guy. has a great relationship with Oda Davis, who, and that started when Bo was recruiting for Texas. But uh, And things can change. I mean, he makes – uh, decide after the playoff. If, if Alabama wins it all, he may decide to move on, but he did not get evaluated. Uh, and that does not mean you're not going to go uh, to the NFL, but those uh, that are that, you know, around the program are not hearing uh, that, that Ashawn Robinson is considered gone right now. So we will see. Uh, I think the one guy that you're going to have to be nervous about because he's receiving uh, you know a second-round grade right now is Tim Williams, who is second on the team, nine-and-a-half sacks has the highest, you know, percentage of snacks with snaps played in college football. So a lot of people think he's the best pass rusher in the country. But as we heard Nick Saban, when he spoke to the media last Monday, he talked about Tim Williams needing to become an every-down player. And I think he's going to try to, much like he did with Reggie Raglan, talk him into coming back. And the thing is, Tim's a second-round pick right now, but that once they delve into his background, he's had some issues at Alabama, could cause him maybe to drop to the third or fourth round. You come back, spend another year, grinding, staying out of trouble, uh, playing good football and becoming every down player. We've all seen what he can do rushing the passer. He could be a guy that could go from a second-round pick to a top-ten pick in the first round. Well, Drew, we've got a caller who's uh, somewhat of a blast from the past, and I know he's going to really quiz you and I on recruiting. I'm glad to have him calling into the show a couple of times in the past, but it's been a while. Welcome back to BAMS Radio. Jared from Southside, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how are you? Doing well, Jared. Nice to see you, man. Yeah, well, Merry Christmas to y'all and everything. And, uh, Carrie, I hope you're doing well and having a good night. Um, just want to ask, bring in, uh, talk about some recruiting a little bit. Uh, 
I was wanting to ask, uh, you know, um, you know, I see that we really don't have that many linemen right now, like uh, exterior linemen in the class, and was wanting to see, you know, if there's any chance we flip somebody from a um, from another team or we get one of these top guys. Um, you know, I remember you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons is a great possibility, but you, we know how it is, how to recruiting out of Mississippi with Ole Miss, you know, being good right now, and uh, it's just tough to get players out of Mississippi, but is there any chance – that uh, we finished strong with any of these four uh, high four-star linemen, you know, defensive uh, exterior linemen, defense strong side defensive ends or weak side defensive ends. Well, Jared, I, I'll tell you, they're they're still, you know, and as of right now, and I, and I keep saying that because again, things can change. But if you return an Ashawn Robinson and return John Allen, it doesn't put as much pressure on this group, but. The thing is, they do need to sign uh, two to three more defensive linemen because, in my opinion, and this is just uh, informed opinion, but I think in the end you're going to see Raekwon Davis flip to a Mississippi school, probably Mississippi State. And uh, honestly, I know what he did in the Alabama-Mississippi game, but for most of his senior year he couldn't play dead in a B-Western and uh, hasn't he – and I don't think he has – uh, and I may be wrong on this. I don't think he has a Deron Payne upside. I mean, you, Deron Payne did not play well when he was a senior at times, but you could still see it. You could see it when he camped at Alabama when he was a sophomore in high school, and you could see the ability and the talent. Raquan Davis, to me, throughout his high school career, has not been a playmaker. Um, I know he did good at a couple of combines in the Alabama-Mississippi game, but he has a ways to go. I still think his future would probably be offensive tackle. Also, um, he's got some academic work to do. He may end up at East Mississippi Community College. So he's there's some issues there. I don't think he'll end up signing with Alabama. That's why I said three. Um, I think uh, something to watch either the 15th of January or the 22nd uh, is Jonathan Kongbo, who is uh, from Arizona Western Community College, the same school. Uh, that gave Alabama Jesse Williams. Uh, he played there and was a, a good, had a great two years, two national championships for moving on to the NFL. He played there, and, and, and obviously, I think he's someone uh, that Patrick Jonathan Kong that could come in and make an impact at Alabama. I don't think he'd be a start. I think he could be a, a guy coming in, rush the passer, and be a situational player. He's committed to Tennessee right now, but. Alabama met with him this week. Had a lengthy conversation with Nick Saban, Bo Davis. You know, he's still take visits. He basically said he was committed to Tennessee, but he was going to make a final decision, quote unquote, on signing day. I think Alabama is going to give him, you know, something to think about. And I think uh, there's a chance he flipped. I think Michael Carter from Jackson, Georgia. I know Kirby Smart will be wanting to keep him as a dog. But Kirby also needs uh, Eric Brown right now, and he's not That'd be awesome. The state of state Georgia. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he uh, Alabama and Auburn are involved with him. There's some that think uh, that Auburn leads. In the end, I think Derek Brown will be someone that Kirby Smart with now that they're retaining Tracy Rocker, which I think was a victory for Kirby because as of last week that was not expected. I think Derek Brown will be a dog in the end if you if you had to ask me, but I think. Alabama's got a good chance to get Michael Carr. Um, and then, you know, there, there's other guys they're recruiting. I really would love to see them get Rashard Lawrence. 
uh, away from a few in Monroe, Louisiana, where they've had some success. Uh, I believe it's Hootie Jones High School. But at the same time, uh, Ed Orgeron has stayed at LSU. Ed Orgeron is going to be tough to handle in the state of Louisiana. But hopefully with Les Miles' instability there, Alabama can kind of pounce. Though I think Ole Miss is is lurking as well. But I think Rashard Lawrence is someone that Alabama will be involved with until the end. But him and Michael Carter, Kongbo, and then Jeffrey Simmons, I mean, this has been a Bo Davis situation. He's wanted Jeffrey Simmons badly from the start. Uh, Alabama basically got on him before even the Mississippi schools did. Uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss both think they have a really good shot at getting him. Uh, Ole Miss, as you know, has been tough to handle in some of these situations. I mean, we will see. Uh, but as long as he can, he makes his official visit to Alabama, Alabama's still got a shot. So, I still think they've got an above average answer because of the people surrounding Simmons don't seem to have the uh, the same, of the same uh, cut from the same cloth as some in the past. So we will see if they've got a chance to to bring him in. But I just think overall you're going to see Alabama sign a strong defensive line class. They're just going to sort through who they want and who they're going to focus in on. But I think of those names I gave you, I think they also have have offered Nick Coe in the last from Asheville, North Carolina in the last, uh, you know, week or so. And he's someone that Auburn had committed. But uh, with Alabama successful on the D-line this year and with what we've seen Bo Davis do in his two years back at the Capstone, Alabama will have a good defensive line class. It's just it need, They need to be patient. They've already got Kendall Holt-Jones in place, too, and he's an elite talent. And people sometimes when guys are committed for a long time, they tend to forget about uh, the uh, committed guys. But he's as good a nose guard as there is in the country. Yeah, well, I'm just – and also, if you can talk about cornerbacks and safety, and plus you mentioned we got Deshaun Hen coming back next year and returning. So, I, I have a feeling he's going right. to do something really good next year. Um, so, um, you know, I think he's only a freshman or sophomore. But I'm looking forward to that. He's and if you have some time to talk about, we need some safeties, uh, too. Um, there's a lot of safety still available, I saw. Yeah, the, the safety to keep your eye on until – he does something different, and to me, it'll be either Alabama or Tennessee. Tennessee, because of who his father is, but Watts is not a warrior uh, from Peachtree, Georgia. He's been number one on Alabama's list for a long time. No Kirby will try to keep him in state, but I think that's going to be hard for Kirby to do. Uh, you know, his, his father is Dale Carter, uh, the former All-American at Tennessee and uh, All-Pro oh. with the Carolina Panthers. Very good football player, uh, and during his time on the gridiron, and Nigel is considered very cerebral, a great football player. Uh, he's He also has a teammate, D'Angelo Gibbs, who's a great player in 2017. It could be a package deal type situation. So I think Alabama will definitely be all over Nigel Warrior. And, and, with, and with bringing Jeremy Pruitt back, and I know Pruitt was recruiting him from Georgia, uh, and with the work Mel Tucker's done and his NFL pedigree, uh, that could definitely help Alabama. And then you got to watch Nigel Knott as well, Nigel Knott. He's more of a corner, but he's uh, from, uh, obviously, Germantown uh, uh, High School uh, in Madison, Mississippi, and he's someone to watch. Uh, he, he's someone that had a very good Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game, and uh, I think he uh, is someone in the secondary that Alabama covets quite quite a lot. And then Shyam Carter, Kentwood, Louisiana, he's been committed to Alabama, but then he decommitted and has been open. I think, in the end, he's going to have Dunlop tires on his car. I think he'll end up with the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, and if he does, 
his teammate Josh Perry, or excuse me, his one of his best friends, Josh Perry, who's committed to Alabama from Amite, Louisiana. I think he may end up disappearing, but I think uh, Jeremy Pruitt's going to try Alabama back heavily in ball with Shaheen. We'll see, but uh, I still think in the end uh, that may be an Ole Miss situation, but I, that you could trade that off with Nigel Not Nigel has supreme athleticism and is a playmaker, and I think Alabama overall right now feels pretty good about where they are in, in the secondary overall. All right, well, thanks so much, man, and um, everything, and thanks for taking my call, and um, y'all have a Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you calling. Call Thank right. you so much. Good to talk to you. We'll talk later, Jerry. Um, well, we are uh, perfect timing on the Asian Rim Hotline on BAMS Radio. Don't forget to uh, check out the great Thai cuisine and American cuisine at Asian Rim over at the Colonnade in Birmingham, Alabama, and give them a call to book your New Year's Eve party if you haven't already done so. Right, next up on the Asian Rim Hotline is. Uh, Alabama Crimson Tide basketball radio co-analyst Brian Passing, a great friend of this show, uh, a great friend of uh, Drew and mine, and uh, welcome to Bears Radio, Brian. Hey, uh, good good evening, guys. Great to be on with you. Uh, good, good to talk with you again, Brian. And I guess I'll start it off. I mean, uh, a little bit of a heartbreak uh, after what happened to Monday night, especially with the way Alabama played for the first half, uh, 38-26 to 26 lead, and uh, just a rocks environment at the Legacy Arena in Birmingham. It was great to see, and it was a great sign that Henry John is, is just starting, is, is taking everything in the right direction and has really touched the fan base because you're talking about his first season, hasn't even reached conference play in the late December to have a crowd like that for Alabama basketball. There was a buzz around the arena before the game. It was a good it was, it was enjoyable to, to watch. Couldn't finish it, uh, but still even I, I, I and I'm I agree with Gabriel Johnson. He didn't come in uh, planning to lose the game, but even in defeat there was a lot of silver lining that you could see about where this team is going. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean obviously there's disappointment in losing uh this this Alabama team once again gave themselves a chance to win and for the first time in the Avery Johnson era, uh, they, the, Alabama did not win a close game. It's been amazing uh, how good this team has been in late-game situations against quality opponents in, in very close games. Uh, that has not been the case over the last several years. Uh, but to Avery Johnson's credit and this team's credit, they've been able uh, to not only put themselves in a position to win close games, uh, but to win the, the vast majority of them. So, you know, with – you know, with that being said, it was disappointing. But when you look at uh, Oregon, this is an Oregon team that will compete for the Pac-12 championship. Uh, Alabama without Dazon Ingram, without Shannon Hale. Um, you know, and then you had Retno Bassahan, the team's leading scorer, who really struggled in that game. Uh, with all that being said, it's amazing that Alabama had a chance to win the game late. And you know, it's, it's uh, a you know credit to the coaches, to the players. Um, to to be seven and three, having played a very difficult schedule, but uh, great environment, and you could tell that even though in defeat, uh, these players, coaches, and the fans are excited about this program. Well, I don't want to ask you a question about uh, the way that the second has affected how you do your job, and I'm talking about calling the game. I'm talking about halftime interviews. Interviews, watching practice, 
How have things changed for you as a color analyst under the new administration? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Uh, it's been really good. You know, Avery Johnson is, um, you know, he, he's just a joy to work with. He is uh, what you think he would be. I mean, for the, from a fan standpoint, I mean, he's, he's uh, very engaging, personable, uh, high energy, uh, and he's really good at what he does. I mean, this guy is an excellent coach. And it's been a lot of fun for me uh, to be around somebody who's so passionate uh, and, and wants to get out in the community and wants to, to get around former players. And, and you know, even in the offseason, um, you know, bringing former players back and having a reunion and, and wanting to do that on a yearly basis and reaching out to uh, people that have, that have contributed to this program and, and having them around practice and games and um you know it's 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 something that that has been missed i mean this is a a program that is the second winningest program in southeastern conference history uh granted it's it's a long way uh from what kentucky's accomplished but still this is this this is a program that has had a lot of success over the years and uh great to have a coach that that recognizes that and uh wants to not only bring uh, that level of success back, but to exceed it. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to do that. But uh, he's been great to work with. And, um, you know, he, he he's just a terrific coach. Brian, I wanted to ask you what the thing that's uh, that I've really liked watching the last two games is the evolution and the confidence returning. And we talked about this on my, on talking ball as well, but Justin Coleman, um, He's, you know, he's been struggling with his shot uh, for much of the season, but the last couple of games, as his minutes and his role has increased because of the injury to Dazon Ingram, uh, no one wanted to see Dazon get hurt. He was having a very solid freshman year, but now you've seen Justin Coleman gain much-needed confidence. Everyone that saw him as a Winona Dragon knew he could shoot the basketball and that he was a, a guy that could score the ball but he's really seems to be coming into his own. And he's also doing a nice job bringing the team. And uh, I think, you know, it portends uh, great things for the future because you have Dazon Ingram who will medically redshirt and be back next year and then Avery Johnson Jr. But for the next three-plus seasons, in effect, you should be very, very solid at the point guard position because I think having a head coach who was a, a great player at point guard has been immeasurable uh, for the development of Justin Coleman. And I'm going to be really anxious to watch him the rest of this year. I think he could be a guy that uh, many had, had, had thought would be a, a role player the rest of his career, but could develop into a frontline guy. Yeah, I mean, really happy for Justin. And, um, you know, he had, he had struggled, uh, had not shot the ball nearly as well as uh, we all expected him to, and he expected to. Yeah, he, came, he was coming into the, the Winthrop game, uh, about a week and a half ago, shooting 17% from the three-point line and in the mid-20s uh, overall from the field. And uh, as you know, you saw him in high school. I saw him. We all had a chance to watch him and, and all the success that he had, winning state titles at Winona. Uh, the, the young guy could really play and shoot. And uh, he struggled over the course of his Alabama career. Didn't shoot it well last year and got off to a slow start this year. Uh, but the last two games – just shows you what he's capable of. 18 points against Winthrop, did a great job of of distributing the ball, taking care of it, and knocking open shots down, and took it to another level against Oregon. Uh, You know, his 
his home away from home. I mean, that, the, the Legacy Arena, Birmingham Jeff, Jefferson Civic Center, he's won multiple state championships there. Uh, he felt right at home in front of a, a packed building, and he, he played incredible. And that is great news uh, for not, not only Justin Coleman, uh, but for Alabama with Dazon Ingram being out. Uh, the, no matter what Justin does this year, uh, the point guard duties are going to fall on him. And, and, you know, and then Retno Boxhan will, will slide over at times to give Justin a rest. But you just don't have uh, any depth on the perimeter, especially at the point guard position on this team. Uh, so Avery Johnson desperately needed Justin Coleman to start playing better. And, and he is definitely playing his best basketball in an Alabama uniform. And hopefully that will continue. Uh, and when Dazon gets back, you know, Avery Johnson, even with those two guys at times, played them together. So he's going to play uh, the, the five best players on the floor. And, and if, if there's two point guards, he's going to do that. So I think those two uh, could play together next year. So uh, Dazon is, is one of the most talented freshmen uh, this year in all of college basketball. Uh, hated to see that for him and for this team. Uh, but fortunately, uh, when, when guys go down, other guys get an opportunity uh, to step up and fill that role. And, and Justin Coleman, to his credit, he's filled that role admirably the last couple of games. And we know how good a basketball coach Dana Altman is, Brian. And I thought it was telling. I was in the press conference afterward, and we, and we uh, asked Coach Altman about Justin Coleman, and he said basically they couldn't handle him. And with a team that, of the high caliber of Oregon, uh, that's a high praise and gives you a lot of confidence uh, going forward with Justin at the helm. It really does. And, and Oregon is a terrific team that's going to compete for the Pac-12 championship. And Dana Altman, one of the best coaches in the country, uh, he's got a not just a, a, an NCAA tournament team, but, but possibly a Sweet 16 or better team. Uh, he's really built that Oregon program, and uh, he, he, he does such a good job, especially on the defensive end. For, so for a guy like that to give Justin Coleman uh, that type of credit is a tribute to what Justin did in that game and is capable of. So hopefully uh, these last two games for, for Justin Coleman will be confidence builders going into SEC play because uh, you, you got to have Justin Coleman playing well for Alabama to have success because there's just not a lot of options on the perimeter right now uh, with the roster and, and some of the, the injuries and different things that have happened. Brian, I don't want to ask you of a guy who had some great moments uh, down in Orlando, but when he was called upon to start in place of the missing Shannon Hill, he uh, scored two points and drafted three rebounds in 17 minutes against Oregon. A long time ago, Brian, uh, Winston Churchill made a statement about uh, a riddle wrapped in an enigma uh, inside a little a mystery inside an enigma uh, that to me describes <laughs> Michael Kessler. Um Even when Shannon Hale comes back next week, hopefully against Jacksonville State, what role do you foresee and how much of a contribution can Alabama get on a consistent basis from Mike Kessler? Well, I, I think he's a better player that, than he's showed at times this year, and uh, he's he's gotten healthy for the first time in his Alabama career. Uh, so you know, having a chance to watch him in practice on, on a regular basis, he, he's going to be a, an important part of this team. I mean, at 6'9", 230 pounds, a veteran guy, uh, can score around the basket, can rebound, brings a level of toughness to this team 
Uh, but, yeah, he, he's struggled at times this year. But in Orlando against Notre Dame, uh, he was as important as anybody in that win over the number 17 team in America. So, hopefully, he and, uh, and, and Jimmy Taylor and then Shannon Hale, when he gets back, will give Alabama some scoring around the basket on a consistent basis because uh, if you don't have guys down in the post that you can – dump it down to and get consistent points. It's hard to be a good offensive basketball team, and it's one of the reasons that Alabama has not had that consistency on the offensive end because uh, you just haven't had that consistency around the basket. And Mike Kessens is a guy that's definitely capable. And, Brian, I wanted to ask you as well about someone that I know you we have, we don't, we, as the media, we don't get a chance to see and we, we don't get a chance to watch practice. But you, being a former player in the color analyst, you've got a chance to watch him work out and watch him work with this basketball team. And I think everyone's anxious to see him next year. And I know I've heard you talk about him some, and you have been gushing about his uh, talent level and what you think he can bring to the table next year. But kind of let the listeners know a little bit about what you've seen of uh, the Memphis transfer, Nick King. Well, he's really good. And, you know, when I watch Alabama play, uh, in practice and in games, this is not one of the, the, the most talented rosters in the Southeastern Conference. You, you just don't have the number of guys uh, from a talent and athleticism standpoint that some of the upper-tier teams in the league have. Uh, Nick King is one of those guys that, that has it. I mean, he, he is a high-level talent, very athletic wing player, can score inside, uh, can knock down the perimeter jump shot as well. And uh, you know, when you look at, at what he's going to bring to this team next year, uh, along with all the guys that are coming back in a, in a uh, top 20 recruiting class, uh, the talent level is going to be much better a year from now. This, when we look back at the Avery Johnson era, and hopefully it's, it's a long, long uh, time in Tuscaloosa for Coach Johnson, uh, I, I think this year's team uh, will be considered – uh, the, the least talented. There's some talent. I don't want to diminish the guys that are on the team because there, there are some talented guys uh, that, that a lot of them are young and they're going to develop and get better. Uh, but when you add some of the guys that are going to come in this year's recruiting class and, and along with Nick King, who sometimes is forgotten because, you know, he's not, he's not a recruit. He's, he's not dressing out, uh, but he is somebody who will be eligible next year. And along with Avery uh, Johnson Jr., uh, who maybe isn't the high-caliber athlete of a Nick King, but a very capable point guard, would love to have him on the roster and available right now with Alabama's backcourt situation. But but he's a, a very good player, the Texas A&M transfer, and he and Nick King are working extremely hard in practice to get better. And those two guys are going to help this team next year. Brian, as someone who does get to see practice uh, on, on well, a more frequent basis than we do, I gotta ask you this because we haven't seen a lot of him yet in ball games. But when you watch practice, do you see uh, some Brian Passing in uh, Young Lawson Schaefer? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. He's uh, he's a he's a really good shooter. I guess you know if I was open, I could I could make a few jumpers back in the day. But uh, you know Lawson's an excellent shooter. Um, you know he's a good player. I mean he's not. Um, your typical walk-on. This is a guy that could have signed a Division One scholarship, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if at some point this year, uh, he gets an opportunity uh, to play in, in key minutes. Um, and he's not someone that you would feel bad about having to do that because 
He, he's someone you definitely have to account for on the offensive end. He's a good ball handler. And as most freshmen coming in uh, to major college basketball, there's an adjustment on the defensive end from, from a, a strength standpoint. Uh, that's something he's working on and getting better in. Uh, but he, he's a guy that, that I think will at some point in his career get uh, key minutes and it could come as, as early as next week against Jacksonville state. I, I I'm impressed with what he does in practice. Um, you know, if, if, if you're not guarding him, uh, he's going to make you pay for it and knock down a three. And this is a team uh, that, that doesn't shoot the three particularly well. They've, They've actually shot it better than I thought they would. They've gotten good looks, and a lot of that's due uh, to, to what Avery Johnson is putting in, getting guys shots in their most comfortable places. But uh, Lawson Schaefer is a guy that can certainly knock it down from deep. And, Brian, I wanted to ask you about two more young players, and I asked Avery about both of them after the game uh, on Monday, and I know you've seen uh, – both of them, especially the last two games uh, for Brandon Austin of Carter Montgomery. He's a guy that knocked, had seven crucial points to keep the lead in the first half against Winthrop, and I thought played with a lot of energy. He had a nice uh, drive and dunk in the Oregon games. He's starting to finally, it looks like, get more comfortable. And then also Dante Hall, someone that reminds me a little bit of Roy Rogers when he came in, but he's further along than Jimmy Taylor at the same stage. I liked what I've seen out of him, especially on the offensive end of the floor. He always seems to be in the right place and has been finishing well around the rim. But just kind of talk about those two young guys and their development is going to be crucial uh, as this season goes on. Yeah, I like both of them. And, and you know, when you look at, at this freshman class, Dazon Ingram, uh, who obviously is out for the year and, and one of the most talented freshmen in all of college basketball. Uh, but I've, I've really come to like Brandon Austin and Dante Hall. Um, Austin's a guy that shoots it a lot better than his numbers indicate right now. And, and sometimes that's, that happens to a freshman coming in to, to college, a guy that, that can shoot it. Uh, maybe when they get in, they're not used to uh, coming in off the bench. You know, most guys at this level, especially freshmen, uh, they get SEC scholarships. They, they've never sat on the bench in their career. And it's an adjustment to have to sit over there for 10 or 15 minutes and then come in. And then if you make a mistake or, um, you know, or, or the guy that, that you're giving the rest to is ready to go, that, you, that you're back on the bench, that's an adjustment that, that usually doesn't bode well for, for uh, your percentage from, from, a, from three. And, and that's happened to Brandon Austin. He did shoot it well against Winthrop. I think he'll get better. And he's also somebody that I think is going to get increased minutes because of the injury to Dazon Ingram. Because uh, while we, we talked about Justin Coleman and his play lately, uh, he, he is going to eventually um, get in foul trouble and make tweak an ankle. Um, that's going to move Retton over to the point. It could uh, add some minutes for, for Lawson Schaefer. But when Retton has to play – um, the shooting guard as well as, as filling at the point guard position, that's going to open things up on the wing. And I think Brandon Austin is a guy that's getting more confidence in himself, that the coaches are starting to feel better about. Uh, he's doing a better job rebounding the basketball. Uh, and he's a capable shooter. They, he's a guy that will eventually start making threes. And Dante Hall, uh, I agree with you on the offensive end. He's further ahead than I thought he'd be. Uh, at 6'9", 6'10", 225 pounds, uh, he can he can score a little bit. I mean, he he's 
uh, a guy that I think is going to end up being a very good offensive player for you. He's he's excellent defensively with his ability to block shots and change shots, uh, but he's got a nice touch around the basket. He's got really good hands. His footwork is improving. Uh, so both of those guys, Austin and Hall, have really bright futures. Well, Brian, uh, I hate to bring up the elephant in the room, and I won't ask you to comment on the reason but for whatever reason, I've heard three different versions of it, but for whatever reason, Shannon Hale's been gone the last two games, and we do expect him back against Jacksonville State. So that being said, when Shannon Hale is healthy, when he's into good graces, and when he's starting, what can he do for this basketball team? Well, he's such an important part of this team, and I expect him uh, to be back, if not for Jacksonville State, very soon. Uh, so that's good news for Alabama because – um, he's a guy that is a high-level talent. It, it's 6'8", can shoot the three, uh, could put it down, get to the basket, get to the free-throw line. You know, he's been up and down as a defender over the course of his career, but I thought uh, in the last game he played against Clemson, he, he was really good defensively, not just the steal and, and dunk to win the game, uh, but he did a really good job throughout the game on Clemson's best offensive player. So hopefully – uh, that's something that he'll continue to improve on. But, um, you know, in a team that doesn't have um, just a, a ton of high-level uh, SEC caliber players, uh, he's somebody that you that you need desperately uh, to give you double-figure points. Uh, he can rebound the ball. Uh, his numbers need to improve rebounding. He's a capable defender and an improving defender. So, uh, very important to this team. Uh, he and Retin Obasahan have to give Alabama consistent scoring because uh, you just don't have a ton of other options at this point. Brian, you brought up Retin Obasahan. Obviously, he didn't have the game he wanted to. We, we talked about it on Monday afternoon that they needed probably 16 to 18 out of him to win the game. and. He uh, got some good looks, just couldn't get it to drop. You know, one for nine, five points overall. But still, uh, I know I think he'll bounce back. I think he's one of the core guys on the basketball team. Great leader and attitude. Uh, and I, I just think it's amazing when you think about, in context, uh, his five-year journey at Alabama, how much in the last calendar year he's improved. And uh, he's going to be someone that's going to have to score the ball the rest of this season. But – what a job by Avery Johnson and his coaching staff as far as de- helping Redno Basahan develop into uh, a, one, of, one of the better guards in the SEC. And if you had told me that six months ago, I'm not sure I would have believed it. Yeah, and really um, impressed with Retton over the course of, of his journey at Alabama. A, a, a relentless worker, a great guy in the locker room, in the community, in the classroom, a class act all the way around. And he's turned himself into a really good basketball player, was the SEC Player of the Week last week. And uh, he's a leader on this team on and off the floor. He obviously struggled one for nine against Oregon. Uh, and he'll bounce back. I mean, he, he, you know, those types of games happen. Uh, and it wasn't from lack of effort or lack of focus. He just uh, it was one of those nights where the ball wasn't going in the basket. Uh, but he's, he's so important for this team on both ends of the floor. He's one of the best athletes in the Southeastern Conference, uh, can get up in transition, can get up and finish, can defend at a high level. And he's uh, gone from a guy that you didn't want to look at the basket from the three-point from the three point line to shooting close to 40%, at least uh, before the Oregon game, 
So uh, such an important piece for this team and for what Avery Johnson wants to do on and off the floor. I mean, he's somebody that that uh, the coaches can go to and, and, and help uh, with development of young players. And uh, Retton is a guy that will, will definitely bounce back uh, from, from uh, not his best outing against the Oregon Ducks. But when you look at uh, Retton struggling in that game, one for nine, Shannon Hale not available, uh, Dazon Ingram out for the year, and Oregon a potential Sweet 16 team, I mean, it's almost a miracle that Alabama was tied with two minutes to go against one of the most talented teams I've seen this year. Uh, but it's just a tribute to uh, the, these these coaches and these players and, and what Avery Johnson is starting to do in Tuscaloosa. Well, I'm only going to do two more questions. We're going to let you go and you know, get with your family and get ready for Christmas and all. But my last question is, Alabama should win the next two games. It should be nine and three heading to Oxford the first week of January to open up the new Tad Pad. Uh, and, and that, to me, Brian, based on yesterday's results of them closing the old Tad Pad by having to go to overtime to beat Troy, that to me is a winnable ball game. Uh, then you have Kentucky at home. Talk about what Alabama's going to need to do to win in Oxford, and then also just kind of a part two of the question: How do you see the rest of the SEC shaping up this year? Well, um, you know, and and I think every every game of schedule is winnable, and they're they're also losable. I, I I've never never seen a team like this from Alabama. I mean, I, I look at at this roster, you know, one through twelve, fourteen, with with some of the walk on and practice players, and this is a team that if they don't come out ready to play and and defend and rebound and and get the shots they want and, and get out and transition. I mean, they could lose to anybody. I mean, they're just not talented enough to show up and, and you know, roll the balls out and, and end up on top. And it doesn't matter if it's Jacksonville State, Norfolk State. Uh, but then with that being said, when, when they're playing well, they've competed with some of the best um, teams in the country, ha- you know, having beaten a good Wichita State team, Notre Dame team, going on the road to Clemson. Uh, even what they did – um, even though the Xavier game ended up being a, a route in the end in Xavier's favor, and that was a close game against the number one RPI team in the country. Uh, so, you know, Alabama under Avery Johnson, they're giving themselves a chance to, to win a lot of these games. They've, win, they've won the high majority of their close games. But uh, Ole Miss is a team that's very talented, that they're you know, going to be in a position to make a run for postseason. They're going to be really excited to open their new building, the Pavilion. Sounds like it's going to be a, a, a really nice building, a great environment. I, I'm sure it'll be sold out. They'll be excited. But uh, Alabama, first of all, needs to get get by these these last two non-conference games. And while the the fans and media and it can can maybe overlook a Jacksonville State State Norfolk State, uh, this this uh, Alabama team uh, is not in a position to overlook anybody. Uh, but when you look at the start of the SEC, uh, it's a brutal start for Alabama. I mean, when you look at those first handful of games, uh, those are some difficult games. You know, you you might have said a couple years ago to see South Carolina there in the early going is one you can win. Uh, South Carolina's, uh, you know, undefeated and, and really one of the surprises in college basketball this year. And then Ole Miss, Kentucky right there in the beginning. It's It's going to be a difficult start to the SEC season, but uh, hopefully we'll get Shannon Hale back. Uh, hopefully Alabama can finish the, the non-conference strong and get some confidence going into league play. 
and then finally, Brian, for me, I know you've been able to observe them in practice and see the way they work. Of course, the fans know about Antoine Petway and what he's brought to the program over several years, but kind of let everybody know about your impressions of associate head coach Bob Simon and then, of course, Scott Pospickle, uh, the other assistant. I'm really impressed with what I've seen from the staff as a whole and the, the role that they've played, of course, recruiting, but also uh, player development. Yeah, I mean, I, I could not be more impressed with uh, Avery Johnson and his staff. And, uh, you know, we all know Antoine Petway, legend of the program. Um, you know, he, he's done a terrific job with player development, with recruiting. Um, you know, and, and he's uh, – I'm so glad that, that Avery kept him on staff. And uh, the two new guys uh, on the staff I've been really impressed with, Scott Pospickle, a guy that, that is a legend in, in the world of AAU basketball. He's got college coaching experience. And w- when you're around him, he's just got that engaging personality, a lot like Avery Johnson. You can see uh, how he, he's going to be really successful and already has on the recruiting trail. Uh, he has a passion uh, for Alabama. I mean, to, to hear how, how much he appreciates being an assistant coach at Alabama, uh, you, you, you can feel it when he talks about his, his pride uh, for the Crimson Tide and, and how happy he is. And, and he's able to sell that uh, to recruits and does a great job with, with on-the-floor player development, X's and O's, and Bob Simon, the associate head coach. I mean, just look at, at where Providence is right now and Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn, the point guard for Providence, may be the national player of the year. He, he's the best player I've seen this year. Uh, and, and, you know, he's somebody that Bob Simon recruited, developed. Providence won a back-to-back Big East championships with the guys that – that he he brought in there. So a great recruiter, uh, someone that that Avery Johnson leans on heavily from a scouting standpoint, uh, from a tactical strategy standpoint. Uh, All these guys, all three guys on the staff, uh, really do an excellent job, and it's one of the reasons why Alabama right now is surprised everybody at 7-3. and Brian, thank you so much for joining us tonight here on BAMS Radio. On, on behalf of Drew and Thomas and myself, we want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and, of course, a Roll Tide, and we hope to see you soon. Well, hey, guys, I really appreciate you all having me on, and always a pleasure, and, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thank right, you, Brian. Brian. Appreciate it. It's Brian Passick, Crimson Tide Sports Network, color analyst for men's basketball at the University of Alabama and a former Alabama basketball player himself back in the 90s, a man that was known to make a three-pointer and a clutch free throw. Uh, a great guy, good friend of ours. But with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, fellow radio announcer Ken Keller next hour. And also at the bottom of next hour, we're going to hear a great radio interview that Drew was able to do with former Alabama running back Sherman Williams. Uh, Christmas is a time of redemption, and Sherman Williams is just a great example of just that. But for now, we're going to take our one and only break of the night. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family. Rolling down a backwoods, Tennessee byway. One arm on the wheel Holding my lover With the other A sweet, soft, southern thrill Worked hard all week 
on clover, red-tailed hawk sitting on a limb, chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind, homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl, on a Tennessee Saturday night, lucky as a seven. Living in heaven with my Dixieland delight. Spend my dollars, park in a holler, meet the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little love in, a little turn of dove in on a Mason Dixon night. This is my life. Welcome back to Vams Radio, a member of the Vama Sports Radio family, our Christmas Eve Eve edition. And just because you don't hear Dixon Man Delight the last few games at Bryant Dean doesn't mean you don't hear it here on Vams Radio. And uh, we want to thank Brian Passage of the Alabama Sports Network, uh, the color commentator for men's basketball, for that wonderful 30 minute segment on the Asian Rim hotline. And speaking of Asian Rim, they're located in the colonnade off of Highway 280 in Birmingham. You can call them at 490. 490- 1444 if you'd like to book a party, be it the New Year's Eve or what have you. Uh, that's 490, that's area code 205-490-1444. They're open Monday through Thursday from 1130 to 930, Friday and Saturday 1130 to 10, and Sunday 1130 to 8. Uh, so go visit them on their website. It's an excellent website at AsianRim.com. You can get driving directions, menus, and look, if you have any kind of taste at all for Thai food, sushi, uh, steak, barbecue ribs, fried shrimp appetizers like me and Drew love to eat when we go visit them, check it out. Your host or page is Roy Hotman there at the Colonnade in Birmingham. That's Asian Rim. Go to their website at AsianRim.com. And uh, the Asian Rim hotline on BAMS Radio has been very busy already tonight. We've heard from Jared from Southside, uh, one of our callers. We've also heard from 
Brian Pasick of the Alabama Radio Network of Men's Basketball Color Commentary Guy. And uh, we also have another guest, a first-time guest, joining us to lead off this second hour of BAMS Radio. And by the way, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BattleMag.com. And joined as always by Judy Arman of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville and Tom Clark to Touchdown Alabama Magazine. But, Drew, uh, would you go ahead and introduce our next guest on the Agent Rim Hotline, please? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. Uh, this is a guy I've known for a few years now, back in my Alabama Intel days. I was a frequent guest on their show, especially on Saturdays, on game days, heading down to Tuscaloosa. And uh, he's a guy that's a he's a uh, big Alabama fan, uh, no question about that, but he also does – a great job uh, on in Tullahoma, Tennessee, on WHMT Radio. It's 105.1 FM, 7:40 AM. Uh, he's the uh, co-host of the Ticket Sports Radio program on the Saturday Ticket uh, on the, every Saturday, and I was a, again a frequent guest and really enjoyed my time there. But he's a guy that uh, I think all Alabama fans will love from the standpoint. He's not a big fan of Joey Galloway and Danny Cannell, of course, <laughs> but uh, and, he, and he calls himself the probably the number one Alabama fan in the state of Tennessee. Uh, his, his, of course, his first Alabama experience, is, as he told me a while back, was the 82 LSU-Bama game at Legion Field in Birmingham. He was hooked uh, for the rest of his life. But we want to thank and, uh, uh, Ken Keller of Tullahoma, Tennessee, home of Antonio London, 92 national champion, uh, for joining us on the, uh, the Asian Rim Hotline tonight. Ken, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing wonderful, guys. It's a privilege to be on your show, Drew. Uh, thank you for having me. You do a great job on our show, and I'm, I'm uh, thankful to be able to reciprocate. Carrie, Thomas, how you guys doing? Roll Tide for Tennessee. Great, and uh, thank you for joining us. And by the way, if my memory serves me, Tullahoma was also the uh, home of former Alabama running back and kick returner Wayne Shaw. That's that's exactly right. If you guys remember, there was a in the late 80s, there was a kickoff return where uh, Wayne Shaw broke his leg in the LSU game on ESPN one night. So, uh, But, yeah, the two Tullahoma products right there, guys. Proud tradition. Lots of uh, Tide fans down this way, especially in T-Town, Tullahoma, Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely, Ken. And, well, again, thank you for joining us on BAMS tonight, two days before Christmas. Uh, we've been wanting to get you on with us. And I know you've uh, followed this program uh, very closely under what, what Nick Saban has been able to accomplish. And, I guess the best news of the night, late last night around midnight, was Chris Lowe, who's one of the best writers there is. You know him well. He's uh, he spent several years. He still lives in Knoxville, but he was with the Knoxville News Sentinel covering the Vols and now works for ESPN covering their SEC beat. And He sat down with Nick Saban this week at practice. There's been a lot of you know talk, of course, during Iron Bowl week, shockingly, uh, about Nick Saban maybe moving on to the NFL level or even another college job. And then it resurfaces again uh, during preparations for Michigan State, talking about the Indianapolis Colts and Bob Kravitz reporting that he thought Jimmy Ursay, the owner, was going to try to make a run at Nick Saban. But some very definitive statements from Nick Saban uh, yesterday in the article from Chris Lowe. And it's a, a lot of things, you know, I, we've talked about on this show, but many people don't realize how ingratiated in the state of Alabama Nick Saban's become, uh, as he stated, his son Nicholas and his daughter, she uh, recently, uh, uh, Kristen Saban, she got married. Uh, I think they both work at the Mercedes dealership. They've now moved his mother uh, to Birmingham. So 
they seem to have they have a lot of ties here. And I think once uh, the Texas Longhorns were taken care of a couple of years ago, I always felt like Nick Saban would finish his coaching career in Tuscaloosa. And now it looks like, even though Danny Cannell, Joey Galloway, ESPN, a lot of people are not going to like it very much, Nick Saban's in Tuscaloosa to stay. Uh, amen. You're exactly right there, Drew. And, and you can throw a couple other names on that list, like uh, Joel Klatt of Fox Sports and Heather Dinich. I know that uh, some of these talking heads, are. this is just going to blow the top right off of them. But you're right, St. Nicholas, Coach Nick Saban is the coach. It just keeps giving. If If you look at just the eight years, guys, uh, the, and what he's put together, uh, 97 and 12 record, unbelievable. Uh, only 12 losses, counting the SEC championships and playoffs, and three losses, I believe, in 2008 Florida SEC championship, 2010 Auburn, 2014 Ohio State. Those teams that they lost to eventually won the national championship. So, if you compare this era of Nick Saban. Uh, the last in his nine years with Alabama and how he has dominated uh, their main rivals, LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. And then you look at Bear Bryant from, say, 71 through 80 uh, when he put together, I think, nine SEC titles and three national championships. These are very similar resumes. And, and, and I would argue in this day and age, it's more difficult to do what Nick has done with the talent level and the competition in these uh, these SEC championship games since they were added in 1992 that, that uh, of course, uh, the great Bear Bryant did not have to deal with. And, and then, you know, the SEC championship and now this extended playoff from two teams to four teams from the old BCS system. And, and just Nick's, you know, resiliency and his relentlessness and his ability and his great consistency to build the chemistry in his team and always have them prepared. You know, guys, I've seen coaches for a long time in a lot of sports, and, uh, you know, I, I would compare him to, to John Wooden and, and Mike Krzyzewski from Duke. He, you know, he reads those guys. He studies the great uh, of, of the game. He's always trying to make himself better. Alabama fans have the best coach uh, that they could possibly have, and he is going to stay. Uh, you know, you, you look back at his Miami Dolphin days, uh, with with uh, and wonder if he would have gotten Drew Brees at quarterback instead of Dante Culpepper, would he still be there? And, and thank goodness for Alabama fans that, that we didn't end up with Rich Rodriguez as head coach. Look how the history of Alabama football would be different. That would be a lot different. And as you well know, Ken, Alabama does have a great history. And, you know, contrary to popular belief by people that are maybe less than 25 years old, Alabama – uh, had a football program long before Nick Saban got here, uh, won national championships yes. uh, under four other coaches before Nick Saban got here. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, not really as a radio guy, but as an Alabama fan, what are some of your most uh, pleasant memories of Alabama football, Ken, before Nick Saban got around? Well, probably the, uh, the 1985, the, the field goal that beat Auburn, I, I remember – uh, watching that game and the and the and the kick that won that game, I believe it was God. What, a, what an incredible game! It was twenty five, twenty three, I believe. And, and and that kick that sailed through the uprights, uh, you know, on the uh, the last second of the game. I remember uh, in the house with my mom as a teenager screaming to the top of my lungs and being run out of the house by my mother. But that that was certainly one. And uh, being down in uh, Legion Field in Birmingham, eighty nine. Uh, watching uh, 89 and 90 uh, in that area, watching Saran Stacy run wild uh, over over Tennessee, which I, I really enjoy watching Alabama beat Tennessee. And, uh, you know, just there's so many memories and so many story games of the past 
uh, you know, the, the, the 92 Sugar Bowl against uh, against uh, my, the Miami Hurricanes where, you know, Teague runs the receiver down and, uh, and strips the ball from behind it. But there's just so many memories in Alabama tradition and, and uh, uh, what, a, what a legacy uh, of, of plays and lineage over the years that Alabama fans can cling on to. Those are some of my, those Ken, are some of my favorites. And, Ken, I know uh, this year and this, this last two years has really, to me, been some of Nick Saban's best coaching job because, mm-hmm. you know, they had some instability at the quarterback position. Uh, it wasn't really what they wanted to have. Uh, they brought in Jake Coker last year thinking he could be a two-year answer, but Blake Sims beat him out. And then we saw the year Blake Sims put together shocked everyone uh, by breaking a lot of total, the, the total offense record at Alabama, third most passing yards in tied history, uh, third most mm-hmm. touchdown passes, MVP of the SEC championship game, just really – had the kind of Cinderella type run uh, that every that, that it's neat to see, but it's really unexpected. A lot of credit given to Lane Kiffin. Now this year, Jay Coker, it took him a while to win the job. It took him until really the Ole Miss loss to win the team. But since that time, he has improved quite a bit, become a team captain himself, and I think down the stretch has played his best football in a tied uniform. Uh, we all know how special Derrick Henry is, Kenny. He won the second Heisman in Alabama history. But I thought mm-hmm. Jake Coker was the MVP of the Florida game. And his maturation and development is what gives me a lot of confidence going into this college football playoff against a very challenging opponent in Michigan State. Because that Gator defense, I know you saw that game. I saw Alabama play every home game live. And then, of course, uh, I was in Dallas, Texas for Wisconsin and watched the rest of the games on television. The best defense Alabama saw all year was Florida, and I think that's going to help them prepare for Michigan State. Oh, there's no doubt. You know, facing those tor- uh, cornerbacks, you know, Jalen Tabor and, and uh, Vernon Hargraves the third and that relentless uh, defense of, of the Florida Gators. You had Jake Coker, you know, seven TDs, eight picks uh, on the season, but he's only thrown two, I believe, in the last six games. He's 12-0 as an Alabama starter. You know, Cooper Bacon started those first two games against Wisconsin and, and MTSU. But I think the light bulb came on with Coker in the second half of that Ole Miss game. And, and boy, you know, Alabama looked dead on arrival. They looked gone. As, you know, Nick Saban said, the media had written them off. They go into week five, 0-1, headed uh, to undefeated Georgia. I believe they were ranked number six in the nation to Athens. And, and boy, a loss right there would have would – have, uh, X'd out the whole season for Alabama, and, and he has a big game there. The flea flicker play, the pass long pass to Ridley, I thought was big, and and they pound Georgia 38 to 10 in Athens, and I thought really that was his breakout key game of the season. Although he flashed, he flashed some good signs and almost came back against Ole Miss. They just ran out of time there at the end of the game. But you know, Jake Coker 12 and 0 is a starter, and that's a big going into this game. You know, Reggie Ragland came out today and said, you know, I'm behind. Jake through these playoffs, no matter what, he's our man, and uh, you know we're going to fight for him. So you're right, Drew. He, he's got the team behind him. The team's on his back, and this is going to be a great quarterback matchup against Michigan State because Connor Cook may be the best quarterback that Alabama's faced this year. Alabama has faced four passers that have thrown for over 3,000 yards. They've seen some great quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Chad Kelly uh, at Ole Miss, I thought was the best one. Brandon Allen. They've seen Dak Prescott, Josh Dobbs. But this guy's 34 and four as a starter, so he's a winner. A lot like AJ McCarron was at Alabama. I think he was like 36 and two there. But uh, 
Uh, Cook has thrown 24 TD passes. He throws one more, and he ties Kirk Cousins for a single-season record. So uh, it's going to be a matchup. Both teams are going to stack the box and, and try to control the running game. Uh, Michigan State has a really good freshman running back who's ran for 11 touchdowns named L.J. Price, big physical back, that scored the winning touchdown against Iowa. And, of course, you have Derrick Henry, who is the Grand Slam winner this year of all the national awards with the Dope Walker, Walker Camp, Maxwell, and Heisman Trophy. And uh, so what I'm hoping for, guys, is a repeat of game number one uh, the, as, we, as Alabama returns to Jerry World, the scene of the hit-and-run crime at uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington where Derrick Henry set the tone early in the season, uh, trucking Wisconsin Badger safety Michael Caputo on his way to three touchdowns. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the Michigan State linebackers, they've got a couple good physical linebackers um, that have tweeted out some comments toward Derrick Henry, looking forward to facing the Heisman Trophy winner and calling him out. Uh, watch out for number 30, Riley Bulla, and number 33, John Resky. Uh, they've, they've sent out some interesting tweets earlier this week out of East Lansing directed towards Derrick Henry, so I'm looking forward to the, that matchup and hoping that uh, Derrick Henry will Michael Caputo, the Spartan linebackers. <laughs> Good point, Ken. Good point. Uh, you guys remember him? Um, you remember the scene where he got he came up trying to make the tackle and ends up in the huddle getting uh, patted on the back by Cam Robinson. So uh, that that was a yeah. neat scene. He got Alabama. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a movie coming out here very soon starring Will Smith about uh, concussions. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. It's uh, it's Absolutely. not the NFL part of it, but it still should be very interesting. Let me ask you this, Ken, uh, as a as a media member, fellow media member of ours, and and as a fellow fan of ours, I, now look, I know we can't take anything granted this time of the year. I learned that the hard way last year against Ohio State. But let's say, Ken, let's say Alabama gets by Michigan State. No matter what the score, mm-hmm. let's say Alabama advances to the final game. Who do you want to see them play, and who do you think is a better matchup as far as Alabama having a chance to win, Clemson or Oklahoma? Well, that's a great question, guys. You know, I'm glad the drama was taken out of it uh, that we didn't have to sweat on the December 6th election show because, you know, I, I just got through sending out my Christmas cards to the state of Arkansas to Hunter Henry and Brandon Allen. Now it's Collins because without that fourth and 25 conversion uh, and subsequent two-point conversion that uh, play against uh, the 53-52 win over Ole Miss in Oxford, I don't think Alabama gets to this game as a non-SEC champion. So, uh uh, I was like you guys. I was I was hoping for a Michigan State draw. The only drama was we were going to play Michigan State or Oklahoma, uh, and I'm glad that Michigan State jumped up to three. I think the committee got it right. That being said, you know, I'm looking at this, and I don't think Oklahoma's got a good matchup in their first round. I think they was probably looking forward to playing Alabama uh, more than they were Clemson, especially since Clemson drove them 40-6 to six, uh, in the bowl game last year, and, and Clemson did not even play Deshaun Watson. I look for an upset in that in that first game, guys. I think Clemson and Dabo Sweeney is going to beat Oklahoma. I know the, the Vegas people, they like the Sooners. The media likes the Sooners. That being said, I think the toughest matchup for Alabama would be Oklahoma, certainly with their versatility at quarterback. Baker Mayfield, a lot like Johnny Manziel. Uh, Sterling Shepard out there, wide receiver. Samar J. P. Ryan, Joe Mixon at running back. They have a very balanced attack. And, of course, defensively, they've got Eric Stryker back, and you guys know what he did to A.J. McCarron a couple years ago. So, uh, uh, that being said, I would rather play Clemson. I think that's the more favorable matchup for Alabama. 
I think that would make a great storyline. You know, Dabo, ex-Alabama wide receiver, uh, you know, going against an undefeated Clemson Tigers, going against Alabama in a national championship game where Nick Saban's 3-0 and at the Tide, undefeated in national championship. So uh, that's the matchup that I think would be most favorable for Alabama. I think it's going to be easier for Alabama to beat Michigan State and either Oklahoma or Clemson versus Alabama beating Oklahoma and then Clemson. So I think looking at this two-game stretch, if we can get past this first one, uh, I, I feel a lot better with our chances not having to play both of those teams in, 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 in the playoffs, guys. And then I know there's been some talk, Ken, about uh, Kirby Smart and going to Georgia and being a distraction, but we've seen Nick Saban handle it beautifully when uh, when uh, Jim McElwain went to Colorado State. It didn't affect the team. I don't I, now I've heard that Kirby has been burning it at both ends. I don't think he's getting a lot of sleep, but I do think uh, he will be fine. And, again, the best uh, recruiting infomercial for Georgia is going to be the airtime that Kirby Smart gets and uh, and uh, with the team and uh, uh, taking Alabama through the playoff. And then Michigan State, I think you made some great points. I think Connor Cook is going to be, along with Dak Prescott, probably the, the two best quarterbacks Alabama has seen this year. The, the, one, the thing that I do think is going to be hard for Michigan State to replicate, and I think uh, will, could be an X factor in the game, is Alabama's pass rush. I do think they, can, they have a lot of depth there. I think they keep coming. The Michigan State offensive line has been banged up, should be healthier than they've been in a while. But I still think uh, with the Alabama leading the nation in sacks that they're going to be able to heat up Connor Cook. And Connor Cook's the kind of quarterback I know uh, I, they're doing a lot better job against spread QBs, but they were able to sack uh, you know, Dak Prescott nine times. I don't look to, for them to get nine sacks of Connor Cook, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got three or four and then eventually – uh, forced him into a couple of turnovers, though he's a very good QB. I just overall, I like this matchup. Probably. I do think it's going to be – I don't think Alabama's going to hit the number. Uh, I think the, the, sp- the spread's a little high. I think Alabama's going to win the game by a touchdown. But I just really think that the, this Alabama front is going to be the best Michigan State has seen. I know I had a, mm-hmm. a, a Hondo Car, a Carpenter on my show Monday, and he says Michigan State's breathing fire and has been wanting Alabama for a very long time. But the thing I tried mm-hmm. to express to Hondo is Alabama's been there, done that. They, every, everybody is uh, thinks Alabama's their Super Bowl. So uh, I, I think the biggest thing is Alabama's mindset. And, and I think the leadership on this team is much better uh, than it was a year ago. No, those are, those are all great points. The first thing, I just want to say shout-out to Kirby Smart, the class that he's conducted himself with. To, to be a team guy and stick around and not, you know, I know he's burning it at both ends, but, you know, this is valuable experience for Kirby Smart. You know, this playoff scenario, the two and a half weeks of practice, the downtime, how to handle this, how to structure it, and he's learning from the best. So if Georgia gets put in this situation in the next few years, Kirby's going to say, hey, I'm glad I stuck around these three weeks to see this team through, to see how this works and see how the perfect plan comes together. And, uh, you know, I brought my son to an Alabama baseball camp a couple years ago when he got the opportunity to meet Kirby Smart, just a great guy. He took time out. He had his little girls with him and, uh, you know, just took time out to get a picture of my son. And, you know, class act, I wish him the best of luck. But, you know, Nick Saban is 8-0 versus former assistant, so beware, Kirby, when you play Nick. And uh, But you also made a great point on the defensive lines. I want to give you guys an interesting stat that, that, that I discovered. 
you know, Alabama's ability to create pressure with their front four, of course, with Jonathan Allen, you know, Sean Robinson, Jaron Reed, those guys are all going to be going to the top three rounds of the NFL draft this year. They've only blitzed – Alabama's defense has only blitzed 74 times this season. And so their ability to create pressure with their front four is going to be big in this game. Connor Cook – not a really good runner. We can keep him in the pocket, get him down on the ground. That's our best. That's our best shot. That's our best pass defense is to get him on the ground. And you're, you're right. You're talking about Michigan State licking their chops. This is the best defensive line in Mark D'Antonio's tenure. He has a defensive end named Shalit Calhoun. Shalit Calhoun is a six foot five, two hundred fifty pound edge rusher. Alabama fans need to watch out for this guy. I would compare him to Javon Curse. Uh, old uh, Florida Gator used to play with the Tennessee Titans, as they call it, the freak. Uh, more recently, Jadavion Clowney. This guy has to be blocked every play. He has ten and a half sacks, and he is nicknamed his defensive line, the defensive line of the Michigan State Spartans, AWOL, A-W-O-L, animals without a leash. And so these guys are relentless. They fly the ball. They have some talent. They're going to come after Coker. So it's going to be important for Lane Kiffin, to run some misdirection, to take advantage of some over-pursuit angles by Mississippi State and attack by, by Michigan State, and they're going to have to attack that number 76-ranked Spartan secondary, I believe, with some four wide receiver spread uh, sets, spread the ball around, open up some running lanes for Derrick Henry. O.J. Howard and Kenyon Drake have to get the ball in their hands in this game for Alabama to win. That's going to be the key, I believe. Ken, you are very much, I can tell, up on the personnel at Alabama. And, and as you well know, for as long as you follow the program, Ken, it's, uh, it's not often that Alabama will call on true freshmen to produce at key positions. But that being said, talk a little bit about, in your opinion, uh, the job that both Calvin Ridley and Mika Fitzpatrick have done for the Kansas Tide this year. Well, I mean, that, yeah, it's just absolutely phenomenal. You know, out of Pompano, Florida, Calvin Ridley, boy, he's looked like Amari Cooper this year, and we see how he's ripping the NFL up uh, for the uh, Raiders this year. Calvin Ridley has come in. You know, after Robert Foster goes down with a shoulder injury early in the season, when he went down, you know, I kind of threw my remote control down on the ground. And I said, oh, no, there goes our season. But this true freshman really has stepped up and made big play after big play. And then on the other side of the field, you know, I know that uh, uh, Stewart is not a is not a, a freshman, but he's made some big catches certainly in that Tennessee game. But Calvin Ridley is a playmaker. He goes up with the ball. He high points the ball. He's got great hands and great speed after the catch. And he's kind of like Jerry Rice. You're not going to catch the guy from behind. And uh, you know, I saw I was at the uh, SEC championship game, and I saw uh, Lane Kiffin setting Florida up for double reverse. They would uh, pitch the ball to, to Calvin Ridley in motion. Drake would come from the other side. And there was a time or two that I think if they pitched it on a double reverse that Drake could have took it to the house. Watch for Lane Kiffin to pull a gadget play or two in this. I think they're going to run a double reverse with Drake in this game. We may also see another flea flick or something that's in Lane Kiffin's DNA. But, yeah, Calvin Ridley – to me, the freshman of the year in the SEC. And you look at Minka Fitzpatrick, what he's done in the secondary. I believe he came out of New Jersey. He's done a phenomenal job along with uh, Ronnie Harrison at safety. The big thumper at safety has had, you know, some block, block punt this year. He's had several interceptions. And Marlon Humphrey, uh, you know, the legacy 
you know, his dad, of course, uh, you know, starred Bobby, you know, for for Alabama, and then uh, then went and played for the Denver Broncos in the NFL. But uh, Marlon Humphrey at, at cornerback has been tremendous too. He's a redshirt freshman, but you're right. Uh, you know, it, these 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 freshmen have done outstanding this year, and uh, you know, I called into the Nick Saban show uh, a couple months back, and I, I talked about Ronnie Harrison, and I asked a question, and it got asked on the show of you know his development, and and Coach Saban, you know, what people don't understand, the common fan, is what goes on mentally to get these guys repped and get them prepared to be on the field. Coach Saban said that uh, Harrison had to had to know 156 different defensive schemes or coverages and, and, and so so if you think about that think about a true freshman coming in and alabama's defensive backfield guys having to learn a hundred over 150 coverages of the teams that they study on film and what all they're going to see throughout the season and being able mentally to grasp that and get on the field that shows a lot about the mental capacity of the player uh, those guys coming in and working hard physically and mentally, learning the system, and then look what Saban turns out. Those guys have been phenomenal this year, and they, really the key to the success of the team is, is, is these freshmen that you just that we're talking about here. Ken, the, my last question to you, and again, this has just been great stuff. We've enjoyed having you on BAMS Radio, and, and we're definitely going to do this again, but. Uh, the X factor to me for Alabama, and it, it, you know, Hondo Carpenter did not mention him at all, and a lot of the national media haven't mentioned him, and he made a really nice recovery quickly in three weeks, and you know they got the ball. I, I reported uh, an hour before kickoff he would be on the field and would play, and he, they, he touched the ball the first play of the game. But I think Kenyon Drake can be an X factor in this game. You mentioned the double reverse, but he, he can impact you in three ways. He can impact you as a kickoff returner. A receiver and a runner. He hasn't had nearly as big a season as everyone thought he could, he would at the start, uh, but he could definitely end his career with a bang. And I think he can uh, hurt Michigan State in this game. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, Kenyon Drake, a great playmaker out of Powder Springs, Georgia. You know, unfortunately that cast is on his right hand, or you know, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Kiffin didn't put him back in the in the backfield to throw a halfback pass or something here in these next couple of games. But the guy can do it all. Tremendous athlete. Uh, you know, we saw what he did against uh, Florida last year, the very first offensive play of the game of the regular season in Tuscaloosa when he went about 80 yards on a bomb uh, from Sims. But, uh, yeah, this guy's dynamite. He needs to be on the field to take some pressure off uh, off uh, Derrick Henry. And I'm anxious to see if he can get some running, get some snaps, because uh, they're deep. Michigan State Spartans are deep on the defensive line. Their front seven is very tough and physical. They're going to they're going to hit uh, Derrick Henry with all they have, and we're going to have to have a running back, whether it be uh, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, Kenyon Drake. Somebody's got to take some carries off uh, off Derrick Henry. He's carried the ball 90 times the last two games. The guy's a workhorse. He's a beast. But but you know we got to have him fresh and healthy for both these games to be able to pull off these next two wins. No doubt, Ken. Uh, that well said. We, we, they definitely need. Bo Scarborough has been a standout during bowl prep. Could he be someone that they spring on Michigan State? I, you know, we we don't know. I mean, he could. We we remember the coming out party two years ago in the Sugar Bowl for Derrick Henry. He uh, was uh, he was sprung on Oklahoma and kept Alabama in the game and was tremendous. Maybe Bo Scarborough will follow in those footsteps. But I agree. Kenyon Drake needs to be involved and should be a fascinating game. But we really appreciate the time tonight, my friend, and I know. You're going to continue to bring it on the Saturday ticket in Tullahoma, Tennessee. 
uh, and uh, we really appreciate you joining us. And I look forward to hope uh, contributing back on, on your show again with Scott Chastain and your crew. And I look forward Absolutely. to Bruce Anderson and, and and I and I and I look and we look forward to having you on again really soon, hopefully after the playoff and hopefully after Alabama can uh, bring home the sixteenth national championship. We really appreciate it tonight and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Hey, Merry Christmas and happy New Year's. God bless guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken Jim. Keller uh, did a great job, really brought it. Good Kerry. He grew and he, he was great. And I will uh give a quick score here. Uh, as they near the end of the third quarter in Mobile, Alabama, where Thomas is and the rain-soaked GoDaddy.com Bowl, my uh, second favorite college football team, the Georgia Southern Eagles, have just taken a 37-27 lead over Bowling Green, which runs to Gus Miles on offense. So, for that reason alone, they deserve to lose. But Georgia Southern, kind of the Alabama of uh, 1AA for many years, won six national championships, 8-4 and four this year, lost a couple of tough games. It looked like they are starting to pull away a little bit from Bowling Green, but it's a long way from over. That being said, uh, this is something that you really want to pay attention to this very next segment. As I said earlier in the show, Christmas is a time of redemption. It's about Christ, the one who brought us redemption. And no one is a better example of redemption and paying one's debt to society and turning one's life around than former Alabama and Dallas Cowboy running back Sherman Williams. And he recently took time to speak to our own Drew Armand on his show, Talking Ball on 97.7. ESPN is only impossible, and I'm going to let Drew introduce his own interview he did a few days back with Sherman Williams. Well, and uh, I hope everyone in our BAMS radio family enjoys this. As we know, Sherman Williams from Blunt High School uh, was an All-American running back there, rushed for 3,000 yards his senior season, went on to rush for over 2,400 in three uh, in, a, in a four-year career uh, with Alabama, uh, was the SEC rushing champion over 1,300 yards as a senior in 94 when Alabama almost won another national title. Of course, he was a, bit, a contributor as the third back, of the, the, what a third-string back he was, uh, and scored a touchdown in the Sugar Bowl, scored the only touchdown in the Iron Bowl in 1992 offensively in that 17-0 uh, win for the Tide. And what a great back he was. Many people forget how good Sherman Williams was. He was a great football player, went on to win a couple of Super Bowl rings with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, his life went awry uh, from that point, but he's really turned himself around now. And I was uh, honored to be joined by him on uh, on, 90, on uh, my show, Talking Ball, on 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, Alabama. And it was also great to have uh, guest uh, co-host Wes Neighbors in on the interview. And you will definitely get a kick out of the story Wes Neighbors tells about Sherman Williams. About the Tennessee Valley's home of ESPN Radio is 97.7 The Zone. Welcome back to Talking Ball, live, 5549, Highway 431 South, Diamond Golf Cars here at the foot of Montesano Mountain. Nate and the crew hosting us today. They can take care of all your needs, uh, golf carts, uh, all-terrain vehicles for hunting. They easy go, the bad boy buggies for tailgating because they're like many cities. You need a you need a mode of transportation. We see these all over the tailgates now, but uh, their service department uh, is uh, active and at work right now doing some repairs. On uh, They have a great service department here servicing their customers. They even sell Yeti coolers, and they've got everything you need uh, for your uh, outdoor uh, vehicle experience and, of course, Golf, as we said, golf, hunting, the whole nine yards. We love being here. But we have a very special guest on the Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline. Of course, Wes Neighbors still with us uh, from the drive. And 
former Alabama running back Sherman Williams, a, a 2,486 career yards in Alabama uniform, 27 career touchdowns from Blunt High School, a 3,000-yard rusher coming out of high school uh, in 1991 when he signed with the Tide. And I know he, he's had a, a, quite an experience with his life, and he's uh, chronicling that in his new book, The Crimson Cowboy. But we're honored to be joined by Sherman Williams. Sherman, how you doing this afternoon? I'm uh, feeling blessed today, thanking God for another opportunity uh, to get it right, you know. That's what it's about. Every day, just thanking God, man, for, for the little things in life that are so very important. I'm glad that you had an opportunity to have me on the show today. I, I feel honored about that as well. Uh, we feel honored to have you, Sherman. And uh, everyone knows uh, you were a national champion at Alabama and uh, you know, people also that that the, your senior season gets kind of put in the background because you guys were didn't finish, but you were so close to playing for another one uh, in 1994 uh, when you led the SEC in rushing, 1,341 yards, and uh, you parlayed that into being a second round draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who were the preeminent organization in the NFL at the time. But just kind of talk to everyone first of all about your career. Uh, but and you had a you were you had a great career on the field, but I know uh, your life off the field has had its ups and downs, and I know you're trying to that that's basically what you're trying to your message you're trying to get out to everyone is to you you have to you, that you need to you know live your life off the field in the right way. Yes, uh, football is such an amazing sport. It has so many values in it to where you know it could it could produce healthy living. But off the field, you have to also take those values that you learn in the churches or in your parents' homes. You have to use those those experiences as, as well. So I wrote the book, The Crimson Cowboy, The Chronicle of My Life, growing up in Pritchard, Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, going on to university, like you said, then playing on the world championship with the Dallas Cowboys. And I was having some off-the-field issues that started very young in my in my life. And uh, it carried on and led to a prison sentence in a federal prison for 15 years. I uh, wrote the book, The Crimson Cowboy. Anyone who's interested in getting the book and purchase the book from CrimsonCowboy.com. It's a very great read. I'm a football player at heart, so I, it's a, not really a football book, but I right. illustrate a lot about my life pertaining mm-hmm. to football. But the book is really about uh, teaching kids who may grow up in a similar environment and learn how to make decisions that will allow them to be successful and not have to go through some of the ups and downs that I had to go through from a personal experience. And um, the book is, is, is really a great read for the common American citizen, not just a football fan, not just someone who is interested in sports in general, but a person who lives everyday life or maybe have someone, a child, a neighbor, a, a relative, or anyone that may be coming up in a situation with having behavior issues, they come across a large sum of money, don't have the financial literacy. Uh, myself and my partner, Mr. David Palmer, we started a nonprofit organization called the Palmer Williams Group. And mm-hmm. what we do is we go out in the communities all over the state of Alabama and abroad, and we put on camps and clinics for socially disadvantaged youth. We try to teach the kids about financial literacy, we try to teach them about social skills, about what it's going to take to be a part of the workforce. You know, everyone is not going to make it to the NFL. It's a very rare number of people that get an opportunity to play a professional sport, be an actor, a rapper, a musician, an artist, and those types of things. So we try to instill values that it's going to take through uh, psychologists, 
and people that we have contracted through our staff to get out and volunteer to help these kids understand that life goes on after sports. And if they have an opportunity, take advantage of an opportunity, but it's better to just be focused on your education, do the things necessary to where you'll have a chance to be successful in life. Sherman, this is Wes Neighbors. It's, it's been a long time since I, I've seen you. Um, back in the day, uh, I, you know, I got so many questions for you. Uh, yeah. One is, you know, when you were at Dallas, and yeah. you know you, you live in the the life. You, you know there were other people on that team that had issues. Nate Newton, yes. uh, they end up going to prison. What do you think drove you to dealing though? That, that's that's pretty. You know, you went from a user to a dealer. You know what? Hey, what? Wes, how you doing, Wes? It's been a long time. I know. I know uh, Mr. Billy is smiling down. I know Keith and uh, <laughs> everybody. And I I hadn't had a chance to talk to anyone. I think I instant message. Uh, Keith a few times, so I, I know I've been keeping your family lifted up in my prayers, and I hope that your family has been lifting up me in prayer. As we well. have. We have, and, and, and we'll think about you all the time. And i got some okay. stories I want to tell here in a minute, but we'll get to that <laughs> in a minute. So don't be nervous. <laughs> I won't be nervous. I uh, going out there on them and everything. That's what we're going to talk about. I know. I already know you were going to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's going to bring back some good memories. Yeah, but, uh, that was... See, really, uh, to be honest with you, um, Wes, it started at a very young age. Dylan became a um, thing in the environment that I was in growing up in Pritchard. You know, a lot of things was happening, taking place, criminal activity. I became a behavior issue problem at a very young age. In second grade, I have a behavior problem. Mother and father divorced at eight years old. Uh, I got into some stuff. I talk about it in the book, The Crimson Cowboy. And I talk about uh, having those issues transform in my life at a very young age from uh, being in juvenile detention, uh, having in-school suspensions, having school suspensions, you know, just starting to rack up a long list of, of negative behavior in the, in the element that I was in during those stages in my life. So those habits didn't just come overnight. It wasn't an overnight thing. You build up. You can't make it to the NFL overnight. You don't just wake up one day and just say, well, I want to play in the NFL, and then you be in the NFL. You can't just wake up one day and just say, I'm going to end up being serving 15 years in prison. Things lead up to those types of events and those occurrences in your life. So it started at a very young age for me from, you know, distributing alcohol in seventh grade, being suspended from school. Uh, being a part of a gang, joining the gang at an early age, being involved in that, using illicit drugs, smoking marijuana in the bathrooms, and that type of type of thing. There was a, a potential there, and that's why I felt like it's so important about this book for someone who maybe have a child or a, a relative, someone that they very close to, that they may see some of the same behavior patterns in my life, and even the the person who reads the book may be a child between those ages that may see some of the similar behaviors and know that if they continue to make those decisions, it's going to ultimately lead them down the same road that I had to travel by going to prison. But at the same time, I talk about in the book about the good and the positive decisions I made to sacrifice, dedicate myself to my craft, falling in love with the game of football, giving them my all on the field, 
making it to the highest level, winning the Super Bowl, going to the White House, meeting the President of the United States, and all the good decisions I made produced the rewards, but the bad decisions that I made off the field also had consequences to be suffered. So when people read the book, The Crimson Cowboy, they should get an illustration of tales of two tapes about making good decisions and about what can happen if you make bad decisions. Now, now Sherman, you have a... How did they catch you? Now, I know you were. It was a. Um, you you were doing a deal, you, you, and, and you had the marijuana, I guess, in your trunk. Then they threw out their badge, and you ran. Who caught you? Well, it wasn't a point where a person that called me. I was running against some some very high power vehicles. I was on feet, and they were just machine. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, I don't think it was in any type of contest. Had it been, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and we were out up, and they, you know. They, they get the chase of me. I just have a flashback of being on the field, and then something different might would have happened. I might have escaped across the end zone, did the sermon shake. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. you know, and not everybody knows this, but yeah. Joey, Joey Galloway hates Alabama because of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know the citrus bowl. Yeah. 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 And no, he doesn't ever talk about that, though. Yeah, that citrus bowl was a great game. We came out. Uh, we played a very good game. Coach Stallings coached a great game now, more uh, homeless field. We had a real good team that year. We should have won a national title, but we lost by one point. One game lost by one the point. Into the Gators. Yeah. So, you know, we was one point away from absolutely going undefeated for the second time in about four years at Alabama. So the time I spent at Alabama was a great time. You know, uh, I talked about it in the book. You know, Crimson Cowboy on CrimsonCowboy.com. You can get a, a copy of the book to anyone who want to relive some of those days. I'm talking about, you know, playing in that uh, administration with Gene Stallings and, you know, playing with some great players, Copeland and Curry winning the national title in 92, one of the greatest defense they ever assembled in college football history. I talk about that a lot in the book as well, but that's not really the focal of the book. I hope the book can inspire someone who may be going through something. It, might, it don't have to be uh, a criminal act. It don't have to be alcoholism. It could be bankruptcy, divorce. Uh, people are faced with issues on a daily basis. And suicide has been so big in this country of late that when people find themselves in a negative position, sometimes they throw in the towel and give up. But I hope that my story going through what I had to go through and learning the lessons that I learned and then having an opportunity to get out, share my story, and rebound, I hope that it inspires someone else to be able to do some of the things that I'm able to do right now, which is get back up, dust dust the dust off, and keep moving forward. Now, and and Sherman, you don't mention the ski story in the the book? (laughs) I I absolutely did not get a chance. I had so much. Well, let me tell the story then. <laughs> Sherman, have you uh, you had never uh been water skiing ever before, correct? Yeah. yeah and, in, in fact you didn't even swim at the time, correct? Right, exactly. Can you swim now? I can swim good now. Okay. All right. So we take Sherman, it was Derek Oden, who is my brother's roommate, yeah. and my brother and my sister, and we're all out in the boat in the, in the middle of Lake Gunnersville. <laughs> and Sherman decides he wants to he wants to learn how to ski. 
He said, he said there's one problem, he doesn't swim, though. So we got a life jacket, but the life jacket was my life jacket, so it was a little big for Sherman. So we were a little nervous, so we put my sister out there with him, who's a good swimmer, and she had a life jacket. And she was going to teach him how to ski. She's a good skier. So we put skis on him, and uh, and we get ready, you know, and get him set. And Sherman gets up right at the beginning. I mean, we're laughing so hard. I mean, here's a guy who can't swim, who's never skied before, gets up right away. And he, we're skiing on the and uh, so I'm, I'm driving, and I don't have a mirror, but, you know, you have a spotter, and it's okay. So I'm, I'm driving. All of a sudden, they say, he's down. And I look around, and he's gone. <laughs> so he's done, he, doesn't, he doesn't swim too good. So I'm thinking, oh, i got to get over here quick because we've left my sister in the middle of the water. <laughs> we got her in the middle of the water, got him on ski. So I hit it as hard as I can and whip it. And then all of a sudden, they go, he's back up. <laughs> wow. Well, we didn't ever tell him to let go of the rope. <laughs> And it was a, it's the best athletic move I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he how he held on the rope. He's underwater completely. Him and the skis and Great he popped balance. back up. That's what running backs have. Yeah, yeah. I never laughed so hard in my life. Yeah, that was a that was a hell of an experience. I, I I didn't know what I was doing. I guess it was great to I just used my little athletic skills. And just was able to bounce back and rebound. I didn't know what was going on. I just did no, what came well, well, my sister forgot to tell you to let go of the rope when you <laughs> fell. <laughs> <laughs> but it all worked out. It wouldn't have been a story if you just fell. Have you ever been skiing since? I have not. I have oh, not. Wow. But I would love to try it again. It's uh, a possibility if it presents itself. I definitely would love to. Well, you come to Huntsville, it definitely, it'll show its ugly little head. I guarantee you. And Sharon, we know you. I'll still do that. I'll try to make my way up to Huntsville. I'll bring the book up there to Crimson Cowboy. I know it's a great group of people up there that's been contacting me through Facebook and instant message. They want me to come up there, but I haven't had an opportunity to make it there yet. But I want to work on getting up there. I talked to um, guys earlier about getting there. So if that's possible, I'd love to come to the city of Huntsville, play my book, The Crimson Cowboy, share the story with the people in Huntsville, and uh, get some autographs, signed pictures out there. Absolutely, and we know you've got a good appearance coming up Saturday, December the 19th, the Ice yeah. Bar and Grill, 4202 Hacks Cross Road, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, so we look forward to you doing that, Sherman. We really That's Sherman Williams, and a wonderful job by Drew DeArmond and Wes Neighbors uh, in interviewing Sherman about his situation, and uh, very inspirational, very good job, very good questions. And uh, I guess since Sherman's not still on with us, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, go to CrimsonCowboy.com and, and get the book. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic timing how that interview ended because uh, our next caller on the Asian Rim hotline is actually a pretty good friend of West Neighbors, too. And, uh Big C. McGuire, I hope you enjoyed hearing part of that interview with Sherman Williams. I'm glad to hear Hey, Wes, I'm glad to hear you on the phone. I'm sorry I didn't call y'all this week, man. No, that, that was Wes was on tape. I was just telling it, you. It was, it was recorded, uh, Big C. Don't worry about that. Uh, we did that a couple of weeks ago with uh, on my show, Talking Ball, and Wes is with us. And I know you call the, the drive a lot with Steve Moulton and Wes Neighbors, but it was an honor to be joined by Wes at Diamond Golf Cars, and when we interviewed Sherman Williams, and had a really good time. Great story there. Sure was. I can, I can picture it all that happened, right? Well, how y'all doing? Um, uh, 
blowout going on down in Mobile with the Georgia Southern. Uh, Bowling Green. I mean, Georgia Southern's 51, Bowling Green's 27. Mm-hmm. But, Laura uh, Rutledge, friend of this show. Uh, Laura Rutledge doing sideline reports. She used to be a guest on BAMS all the time. But uh, we hope you have a great Christmas and Happy New Year, Big C. And uh, what you got for us tonight? Well, I feel pretty good about a week from Friday. Are y'all going to be on next week or not? We we, we are definitely going to effort to be on, Big C. If I can, I'll try to get on. I'm, I'm going to be out of town, so I don't know if I'll be able to do it or not. But if I can't, uh, I might text you or something. But anyway, um, I feel pretty good about Alabama's game against uh, Michigan State. It's going to be tough, but I think somebody said Trevor Maddox said it's going to be he thinks it'll be tight for two and a half quarters, and then uh, we'll just wear them down. And I think we'll win like 21 to 10, maybe more than that. What do y'all think? Well, I, I think uh, Alabama's going to win the game. I think it's going to be close. I think they're a quality opponent, very physical, very well coached. Uh, you know, I I don't think Alabama's going to cover. I think I'm going to win it around a uh, 2017, 27-20. Uh, uh, type score. I think Alabama's going to win. But I think it's fist fight. It's going to be like an analogy that I've done on a bunch of shows. Is uh, probably in Rocky, and you know Rocky kept coming, and uh, he won the rematch. There's not going to be a rematch in this one. I think Apollo had the most, was the better fighter, and won the first fight. And I think Alabama's going to win this fight in Dallas, Texas, and move on uh, to the national championship game. I think Alabama's. It's like looking in the mirror, looking at Michigan today, but I think. The tide is more athletic. I think they're got they've got more depth, more playmakers, and I think Alabama is going to pressure Connor Cook into some mistakes. And I think Alabama is going to win the football game. Well, that's the way I see it now. Now, what do you think? You think um, with Henry having won the Heisman, how do you think he'll do next week? Well, I, I don't think there'll be any kind of a, um, you know. Uh, hangover. Remember, they they used to talk about Heisman hangover, and then Mark Ingram was MVP in 2009. So I think that's already been debuted. Yeah. Well, it used to, they used to really have it pretty bad, but I think, like you said, since then it's been the trophy winners have done pretty well since then. But um, now Alabama, you know, they're number one in total defense and number one in rushing defense. Now, Michigan State's number seven in rushing defense. And the category that Coach Stallings uh, likes to use is who runs the ball the best, which Alabama's better at running and stopping it. Now, they're better at turnover margin. They're number four, and we're like number 28 in the country on that. But uh, but anyway, um, I just, I'm like you. I just think it's going to be – I'm picking 21 to 10. So, I don't, I don't know what the line is. Maybe – but I was going to pick 24 to 10, but I decided to go down. What, Gary? I'm going to say 24 to 13, Big C. I'm sorry. Off the top of my head, I haven't had a lot of study. I'm going to go 24 to 13, Bama. 24 to 13, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, I think Michigan State will kick two field goals and score a touchdown. I'm going to do three touchdowns, but now I'm going to do field goals. I do yeah. think, Big C, that the magic number, Alabama, if they can score 24 to 28 points at their defense, Michigan State is not going to beat Alabama. Well, I totally agree with that. But, 
Now, I noticed some people, uh, I saw on Facebook, some people's already signed, what is it, financial aid, or what is it, the thing they sign before they sign a scholarship uh, when they're going early today, like the quarterback from uh, Texas. See, A&M didn't get a, they tried to go after him, but they didn't get him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they did well, not. Well, you know, Big C. You know, Big C, Texas A&M's got more in common with Auburn than just being an ag school. They are a freaking dumpster fire right now, and nobody in their right mind, and Jalen is a smart kid, is going to go play for that program. But, Drew, go ahead and explain to Big C the difference in a financial aid agreement and a scholarship in NLI. Well, if you don't sign the uh, the, uh, the NLI, you just sign a financial aid agreement. It just means that the school that you sign that with, Big C, can have unlimited contact with you at any time. Uh, they can call you text you, whatever. There's not really a dead period for you. You can uh, you, you agree that, you, that that one school can contact you during any, any any time of day, night, or whatever. That's basically what that means. And then if you sign the NLI, of course, it binds you to the school. The, that, the financial aid agreement doesn't completely bind you to the school, but it's very, very close. And uh, Terrence Ferguson has done the same thing in basketball. Well, we want to thank you for calling Big C. Got to let you go. Got another caller on hold. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Merry and Christmas, Happy time. New Year, Big C. Appreciate it, my friend. Got another caller on hold now on the Asian Rim Hotline on BAMS Radio. And let's go ahead and be on uh, Play Like a Champion. Welcome to BAMS Radio and Roll Tide. What's up, my brother? Roll Sorry, time, I couldn't guys. get you on the show earlier this week. Man, I thought I wasn't going to get on again tonight. I tell you what, I've tried a couple times here lately. I know it's late, so I'll try to be brief. Um, guys, one of the main things I've been wanting to, to hear you talk about or ask about is not our game, but the other matchup. And the question I've got is really two questions. Who do you think will win between Clemson and Oklahoma? And more importantly, maybe, who would you rather see win based on hoping Alabama wins and will play them in the championship game? I well, prefer to, uh, who, who I think will win is Oklahoma, <laughs> and who I wish would win is Clemson for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think Alabama would have a better chance to beat Clemson. I think Oklahoma would be a much tougher matchup. But it, by the same token, it would be nice to shut up Bob Stoops, but I just assume Dabo would shut up Bob Stoops. I'll let Drew give his opinion now. Well, I think Oklahoma is going to win the, a shootout, a 38-35 type game. <laughs> I'm on. A, I'm going against the grain here. I, I'd like to play Bob Stoops and shut him up permanently. Uh, he's played Alabama when there wasn't a, everything at stake and flapped his gums and talked about how well the SEC's not this. He's already talking up beating Tennessee. I'd like to get big game Bob with everything on the table. You know, he beat Florida State, but since that time, every time he's been in those situations, he's gotten his ass whipped, and I think it would happen again. Uh, I would like to, you know, I think they think they're the best team in the country, and that's fine. They've played very good football. They think good defense is holding somebody to 30, uh, you know, I, and, and they can rush the passer somewhat. But I still don't think – we saw what they did against Derrick Henry two years ago. I don't think they want any of Derrick Henry. They're not going to sit here True. and admit it, but they couldn't stop him. I don't think they'd <clears> stop him this time. And I think if Jay Coker took care of the football – that Alabama would uh, win the game by two touchdowns. I think they'll stop Mixon. I think they'll stop P. Ryan. I think nobody is going to run the ball in Alabama. And so, especially with that, that launch preparing to be healthy and not worn out like they were against Tennessee. And I just think overall, they would contain Baker Mayfield. 
he's not going to – he hadn't seen anything like Alabama's pass rush. And I just honestly think that Alabama would make a, could make a huge statement by shutting up the rest of the national media who's basically been saying OU is an unstoppable force the second half of the season. And I'd like to see Alabama get another shot at big game Bob. Can I answer Sounds that? Sounds good. <laughs> um, Go ahead, Tom. Well, hey, listen, last thing I wanted to say, guys, um, you know, I really want to tell you I appreciate what you guys do. Um, it's gotten to the point that I can't even watch ESPN. I just really get frustrated with the people they put on there that are so-called experts and talk and say all their junk. And really all I think they're doing is just trying to stir up stuff and get people talking about it. So, you know, I really respect what you guys do. I appreciate what you do. That's why I try really hard to support you what little I can do. But, you know, to listen to uh, to BAMs each week and the talking ball and, and uh, with Thomas and, and Murph doing uh, Two Deep Zone, uh, you guys do a great job. Really appreciate it. Just wanted to get on tonight and tell you that just so you know, uh, Bama fans really appreciate the work you guys do and recognize it. Uh, wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Uh, roll Tide. Yes, thank, thank you, Taylor. I appreciate it, champ. Now we're going to let Thomas finish us up. What were your thoughts, Thomas? Oh, oh well, um, I actually have Clemson beating Oklahoma. And uh, the Alabama-Clemson game would be a classic if if it were to come to pass. I don't buy into Oklahoma because everyone is high and mighty Oklahoma. They went out and they, they beat a Baylor team, and then they beat TCU, and then they swamped Oklahoma State. Well, let's talk about all three of those games. Baylor was on their second-string quarterback, and – the second-string quarterback was a true freshman. It showed. TCU, at the time when Oklahoma beat TCU, Trevon Boykin was hurt. Trevon Boykin still, to this day, has something like 50% of their total offensive output, rushing, passing. And if Gary Patterson plays conservative, which the way he played was actually perfect, but if he plays conservative, plays for overtime – that game's going to overtime after Oklahoma coughed up a 15- or 16-point lead. Then you go to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was quite po- is quite possibly the worst one-loss team in the past 15 years. Their non-conference schedule was hilariously bad. And, yeah, they, they beat a couple of Big 12 teams. So they got annihilated by Oklahoma, ignited by Baylor. So the two, two of the big they barely even showed up, and they were at home. So – I think Oklahoma is a little overrated, and I think Clemson is going to beat that butt on J- December 31st. I, I think. Wow. I hope you're right. Well, Oklahoma, we said Big 12 is all about offense. Well, Oklahoma has not seen anything close to Deshaun Watson in the past five or six weeks. They just haven't. Deshaun Watson is a fantastic quarterback. He has the best deep ball of anybody in the country right now. And it's not like that's all Clemson's. Am I crazy about Clemson's defense? Well, no, because they got kind of exposed towards the end of the year, not play as well as they did early. But Oklahoma is absolutely nothing against top-quality competition in my mind, at least from a quarterback standpoint. Yeah, well said, Thomas. That may very well happen. I've been picking against Clemson all year, and 
been wrong just about every time. And so uh, I, I, they finally held me. I, I finally picked him in the ACC championship game, but I'm picking against him again, and maybe Dabo will shock the world and get a chance, hopefully, to play against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And what a what a great storyline that would be. And I know I, we, we, I asked Dean Stallings this question a few weeks ago on the drive sitting in for Steve Moulton, and you could tell uh, his his voice perked up. He would be a proud mentor in that game watching his former school where he was uh, had such a great run as head coach. And then uh, the guy that he gave his first job to uh, face Alabama in the national championship game. Well, Coach Sons needs to start his own volunteer fire department and get up, get up there and put that dumpster fire out of his own alma mater. Dude. <laughs> it is That's pretty bad in the Aggie land right now. Pretty bad. Well, listen, uh, it's been a wonderful uh, two hours and seven minutes. We, we appreciate everybody tuning in, whether you're listening live or on the podcast. Uh, we thank Asian Rim again for being our sponsor for our hotline. Y'all stop by the call day and check out some good Thai food anytime you're in Birmingham. That's Asian Rim and go to the website at AsianRim.com. We appreciate them so much. And uh, uh, yes, Paige and Roy Hartman, great staff, great management. You know, just to all of our loyal band listeners, and we and we know you're out there. We appreciate you. We do this for you. We love you. We wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and, of course, Roll Tide. And I, I want to take this opportunity before we close out just to thank Thomas and Drew for what they do for this show. We couldn't have it without them. And it, it's just really – it's so fun to bring you all this Alabama information every week. But, again, all of you all listening, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Roll Tide. Uh, for Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7, the zone in Huntsman, for Thomas Watson, the channel of Alabama Magazine in Mobile. I'm your coach, Kerry Clark from BamaMag.com, wishing you good night, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and, of course, Roll Tide from Bama. Roll Tide and Merry Christmas, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.